Welcome to Filmstrip, movie reviews presented by Continuous Play Podcast. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Kurt. And I'm choking on my ambition. This is Nick. (laughs) And this is our review of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, starring Felicity Jones, Diego Luna, Ben Mendelsohn, Donnie Yen, Alan Tudyk, Riz Ahmad, Zhang Wen, Forrest Whitaker, the ghost of Peter Cushing, (laughs) sort of, and Mads Mikkelsen for like three scenes. Directed by Gareth, I made that Godzilla movie nobody remembers, Edwards, on a budget of $200 million, already grossed over $555 worldwide as we record this. It's the end of 2016, boys. We said we were going to end it with a Star Wars movie. (laughs) Yes, it's been out a little bit. We had a lot of travel schedules trying to get stuff done, but we are here to talk about it. And I got to tell you, I'm actually kind of glad we waited a little bit to talk about this one, because of course, with any Star Wars film, there's going to be a lot to talk about it out there and uh of course we'd be remiss too not to mention that uh carrie fisher has passed away just in the in the time since this film has come out the the famous princess leia and uh even as we record today her mother died as well debbie reynolds so two big losses there in, in hollywood um and you know she's not in this i mean there's a princess leia in this for you know, a computer moment, but, uh, so we're not going to talk about her much, but would be remiss if we didn't mention that before we get yeah. into rogue one though, I wanted to ask you two guys something just in general, your thoughts about this idea, the idea of we're going to do these spinoff stories in the star Wars universe. So Nick, you're kind of new to our star Wars club here. Cause Kurt and I've done the other seven films. Let's start with you on that one. What do you think about the idea of doing spinoff films that aren't tied to trilogies per se? Spinoff movies, great idea. I mean, one problem, and you know, even though I haven't been part of the Star Wars series up until now, um, we've always constantly, constantly brought up George Lucas in the prequels. <laughs> Almost on like every podcast, it's like Fatal Attraction. We got some like Star Wars reference in there. But um, as far as doing like spinoffs, I always it is a good idea. I mean, as far as like this universe, it's 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 a universe. I mean, it's you, you can't get bigger than that. You know what I mean? As far, and we're talking like space universe here. But my reservation when hearing about this was like, oh my God, you guys are taking like a, like a two sentence plot point mention from the original one and doing an entire movie on it. It's like, okay, what's next? You know, is it going to be the Boffins before (laughs) episode six, or is it going to be like, you know, Darth Pelagus or whatever it is, or, you know, some shit like that. I mean, it's so to me, it was like optimistically curious about it, I guess would be the proper way to describe it. Um, Excited. Um, I think the next spinoff when we're talking about like Han Solo has me less excited. So I just hope that when they are talking about these spinoffs, at least when we go in later in series is that they do more of a grandiose and doing something a little bit outside the box as opposed to, even though this isn't a part of the six or seven film series, it really fits in there. So it's, it's a spinoff, but not really in my opinion, but that's kind of my opinion of it before I actually saw it. Well, what about you, Kurt? 
Well, well, I was excited when Disney bought Star Wars and they immediately said uh, they were going to be making the next trilogy and also some tertiary spinoffs just set in the Star Wars universe, which was and is still an amazing idea. Pretty sure this movie was – I might remember it wrong, but I remember this being in the cards from the start, a movie about the people who stole, stole the Death Star plans. And right away, I thought, that's a, that's a, I thought that was a good idea for a movie. And I remember uh, them. I remember them saying it was going to be its own trilogy. At one point, which I am so glad didn't happen because it's already like – Yes. The, you well, don't Kurt, need to stretch over – Well, Kurt, that's when Peter Jackson was involved. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and and I and I was super excited for this movie. But then like right, almost right away it was announced that Gareth Edwards would be directing this movie. And I instantly lost all interest and hope for this movie because of his version of Godzilla, which I saw in the theater in 2014. And I could not have hated more for so many reasons that – could all be blamed on him. That were clearly his stylistic ideas that I just did not uh, uh, blend with me at all. But then I saw the trailers and I thought they were awesome. They gave me some hope and I particularly loved how they handled the music. Uh, even now I watch those trailers, the way they blend the force theme with the empire theme throughout the ads for that movie is just fantastic. I wonder if that's the work of the original composer, Alexander Desplat, who got replaced by Michael Giacchino or not. But, uh, uh, those trailer trailers used to convince me that you know a movie was w- worth seeing until last year. It, w- it was Avengers two that really changed my mind. Maybe I should hold back on excitement after trailers and actually Force Awakens as well. As much as I like that movie, because those trailers look so much better than the than the final product. I got more of a a boost from those trailers than the actual movie. So even if the signs were good and even if the reviews are good, I really had no real hopes for this movie. I just knew I. Had to see it. Well, you know, last time when we talked about Force Awakens, I went into that movie as cold as I've ever gone into any film. Like, I watched the trailer twice. I didn't know any of the spoilers. I I stayed off social media for when it came out because it was a week later when we finally reviewed it. So I just, like, totally ignored everything about it. Just went and experienced it. We had a review of it, and I ended up liking it. You know, and I've seen it a couple times since, and I stand by what I reviewed for it. I liked it. I thought it was fun. It, I think my tagline for the podcast was, it's Force Nostalgia, and mostly I like it, you know. And, and that that was fine. Um, this one, though, I decided, yeah, you know what? I'll just consume everything I can about it. And I inadvertently, after seeing a couple of the trailers, we're talking with another friend of mine that's a big Star Wars fan. And I said, I have two guesses about this movie. And, and I threw them out there to him. And he went and saw it opening night. And he said, have you seen it yet? I said, no, not yet. And he said, well, I just want to let you know that your two guesses were dead on. And I'll tell you all what they were. I, I had a feeling that once we had gotten through cast and who was going to be in it, and this it was going to be Mads Mikkelsen was this, you know, Felicity Jones's father, and he had been coerced into building the Death Star. I'm like, well, that's going to explain the porthole that you can blow the whole thing up with. And that's going to be what he tells her at some point. So there's there's that. Bing got that right. And I had also guessed that, spoiler alert, everybody was going to die. I said, because you can't have any of these people hanging around because we're, we surely don't mention them in the original trilogy unless Lucas is going to get another cut of those. And please, God, don't let that happen. You know, <laughs> and, and we're going to force them in there. So we've never heard of any of these people before. We'll never hear from them since. I'm like, well, everybody's going to have to die because this is a this is Suicide Squad if there ever was one. And he said, you're right about the, you know, the second one, too. And I, so I went into it knowing that the two things I had kind of figured out on my own about it were exactly that and i said okay so knowing that can this be entertaining at all can i get anything out of this because nick i'm with you i thought 
well, of all stories to pick, this one, I mean, we know how it ends. Like the hardest thing about doing any kind of a side story or a spinoff or a prequel or anything, especially when you jutted up next to where it's the other films have been is you know how it ends. I mean, the, the prequels for all their problems and stuff, the thing we knew is that it was going to end at a gap. There was going to be about a 20 year gap from where they ended and where a new hope began. So we knew that they could tell a lot of things that we didn't know, you know? So, okay. We, we had room to explore, but we know how this movie ends. They get the friggin' plans and they blow up the Death Star. You know, so I, I've seen this. So how can they make this interesting? And the way to have done that would be to have you know really neat characters to send us some, to some different worlds. And from what it looked like in the trailers, we're gonna have a lot of action and a lot of battles. This was gonna be a Star Wars movie. There was gonna be a lot of war in this movie. It looked like, and I thought, okay, well, I'm down for that. And then I went and saw it, and we'll we'll talk about the rest of it as we get into it. But I, those were my thoughts going in. But as far as spinoff films go and that kind of thing. I like the idea. I really do. I'm curious to know if this was maybe the best option to start with. And we'll talk about that you know, throughout the podcast tonight. But I, well, I, 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 I got to cut you off, Jay. I mean, we're talking like spinoff sequels, prequel here. I'm sorry. Prequel. I, I, I hate that word. But did any of you guys get visions of a movie that came out a few years ago? Oh, I know Kurt. This is Kurt was talking about beautiful trailers where the movies let you down and prequel spinoffs. You guys know the one I'm going to bring up. Mm-hmm. Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very much. Did you guys get any like? Did you I, guys get that feeling I at all? Because I think I think we I can all go Felicity on record Jones to say all... was Numi Rapace at one point. Like, no kidding. I was like, that's that's got to be Numi's stunt double because they look alike and they're about as blank. So <laughs> together. And they're sort of yeah. Funny. I mean, I mean, that was kind of my thing too. Is like, okay, Prometheus. I knew going in there. Okay, it's like it's a prequel. It's a spinoff. But if this is gonna like encounter them and no one knew about that except for the corporation, how can these people all live? You know what I mean? It was kind of like that same feeling, mm-hmm. where it was like I kind of already can kind of guess the ending in a way. But it was still kind of left well, me intrigued. I don't know. It's just it's just that movie just keeps on like kept on w- popping into my head when I saw this. Where I'm like, beautiful trailer, but it's got it's the same freaking concept again. I want to throw this out there though. We, you know, when James Cameron made Titanic, I said what every other idiot in the world said. Well, we know how that ends, you know. And and for what it's worth, that was a, a you did not know how Titanic end. Like you were going to know that that lady all suddenly like forego <laughs> like fifty years of marriage and kids to go have a death wish with leo who she met for like two days no no (laughs) no, i knew the boat was gonna sink that's what i meant but could it could it be something worth watching along the way well yeah i'd say it was it's not the greatest movie of all time but you know titanic for what it was at its day particularly in the theaters on the big screen that looked phenomenal at the time 1997 that doesn't hold up as great now but at the time that looked pretty amazing and i thought okay you know what cameron did the right thing there with with a story that we know how it ends how can you make that interesting i this one though well prometheus to take your example we're going to see the construction of the space jockey 
um, ship, and we're going to see where the aliens come from. And we got none of that. We got a lot of garbage, you know, that we've talked about that looked amazing on the screen, but it just didn't have anything to it. And so, yeah, it's a fine line you got to walk with these things. And Kurt, I want to come back to something you said a minute ago, and I don't want to review the whole thing here, but I know I had my problems with the Godzilla movie, mostly that Godzilla wasn't in it. <laughs> uh, what what was your big beef with Gareth Edwards' Godzilla? Because I've seen his other movie, and it was actually pretty good. Well, see, uh, I kind of, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm skipping ahead to like how much I like this movie, but it, this movie makes me want to go back and watch his previous movie because I actually did not like Monsters or Godzilla. And I, for the same reasons I didn't like Monsters was why I didn't like Godzilla, which was he uh, – his whole style in, in, in Godzilla and Monsters was to not show the action and to cut away from it. And he did it – and. You can do that once or twice, but you do that so many times. They did that so many times in Godzilla. It got so irritating. Uh, I got, I just got so, I, I've never been so like, uh, pissed off watching a, a movie in the theater because I, you know, I pay 13 bucks or whatever to see a movie co- called Godzilla and you don't see Godzilla. You see, what's his name? Uh, what's Aaron Taylor Johnson or whatever for the, Yeah, you don't even get Brian Cranston. <laughs> so that yeah, was that, the that, yeah. of that movie. Him in his great wig. We didn't get to see him as much. In oh, I mean, he was in the trailer more than he was in the film. But go ahead. So, so with that, I was instantly, you know, I didn't want, I did not want Gareth Edwards to make this movie because I just assumed he was hired because of Godzilla. So hence he's going to make a movie like Godzilla. Like I just kept picturing. The, you know, the scene, here's the tra- stuff in the trailers for the walkers. The walkers are going to show up and we're going to cut away. Or here comes Darth Vader and we're going to cut away as soon as he shows up or something. And what was so amazing was he did, like, I was, what was it? I was saying before this movie is like, you know, the only way I'm going to like this movie is if Gareth Edwards sheds every bit of his originality and style to make this movie actually fun. And it turns out that's kind of exactly what he did. Well, well, the uh, good news for you is that he probably didn't make half of this. Tony Gilroy shot half of it. Uh, that's, yeah. yeah, we, yeah, yeah so. we don't know. We don't know what his version was. It very well could have been that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm almost on the, the, I'm, I think it actually is. And <laughs> we'll never see it because Disney will never allow it. But I think he turned in this gritty dark war movie and Disney lost their friggin' minds. And, <laughs> See, they, they went back and changed all this stuff. So. so you guys are bringing up stuff like, you know, like Godzilla and monsters. And to me, it's, you know, th- there's another movie where it's kind of like where it's like you're going to have like this big, you know, event going on in the background. And we're just we're going to show you glimpses of it, but we're going to keep it character focused. And that would be Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Ah. He did that, I think, masterfully, where it was like he just showed you just enough. Masterfully? That movie he, sucks, I, man. I love I love that movie. That The first two thirds of that movie are great. You can uh, we'll review that. Stay uh, yes, tuned. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. When Tim, Tim Robbins in the basement. OK, yeah, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but I think the first two thirds of that, especially that first third of that movie, is so emotionally draining. But I think it's 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 well done with that. But I think like Gareth Edwards tried to kind of kind of do that almost in like a different way or in the kind of in the same way where it's like we're going to have like this like really interesting stuff going on in the background where we're going to keep it kind of character based. But he kind of did it to a he kind of failed at doing it. I mean, I agree with Kurt. I watched Godzilla once. I had trouble staying awake for that movie. And it's like 
you sign up for a Godzilla movie. I mean, it's kind of like signing up for a Rocky movie. You know, it's like when you go watch Creed, <laughs> if they like don't show you the boxing match at the end, you're going to be like, well, that's fucking bullshit, man. It's like, it's a, the whole entire point of this movie was to lead up to that freaking fight. And that's the whole thing with like Godzilla. It was like the entire point of this movie is to see Godzilla knock down some buildings, destroy some tanks and, you know, go, you know, fist to fist with another monster. And they completely like avoided that. Yeah, I, that movie sucked. So. <laughs> well, I think before we get any further into God's, I mean, into Rogue One, <laughs> a Star Wars story, we should do a plot summary. So, Kurt, we've given this to you this time. You wrote this one up. Tell us, uh, and for anybody who hasn't seen it yet, uh, summarize what you saw at Rogue One. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Like, I give a spoiler alert here. For whatever reason you haven't seen Rogue One, just because you know the ending of the story doesn't mean you know what happens in this movie. So if you haven't seen the movie, stop listening. Kurt, my, gra- my grandma's seen it. Everybody's seen it. No spoilers uh-huh. needed. Sure, sure. Okay, so... <laughs> So here we go. The Empire has taken over the galaxy and the Rebel Alliance is barely, barely scraping by with her efforts to bring the Empire down. Jin Ursa is a petty criminal busted out of jail by the Rebels. Her father, Galen Ursa, is an Imperial weapons designer and has defected by trying to relay the plans of the latest weapon he's created for the Empire, the Death Star. Jin is recruited by the Rebels to track her father down with the help of Rebel spy Cassian Andor and his reprogrammed Imperial droid K-2SO. Together they fly to Jeddah, an Imperial planet, to meet with a, def- a defecting Imperial pilot who is carrying Galen Erso's message. The pilot Bodhi is captured by a rebel extremist, Saw Guerrera. Above Jeddah, the director of the Death Star, Krennic, and Grand Moff Tarkin test the Death Star on the planet. Back in the city, the rebels attack the stormtroopers patrolling in Jeddah City, Jin and Cassian fight them off with the help of two mercenaries, Chirrut, a blind martial artist with a strong belief in the Force, and his partner, Baze. The group is captured by Saw Gerrera's men, and Jin is shown her father's message, but before she can hear the crucial details about the Death Star's weakness, the planet begins to implode after being hit by the Death Star, and our heroes are forced to escape. They fly to another planet where Galen is meant to be stationed. Cassian goes off on his own to recon, but was secretly given pl- plans by the rebel leaders to assassinate Galen. But before he can get a chance to, rebel fighters swoop in and assault the base. Galen is killed by a rebel bomb and Galen and dies in Jin's arms. The group flies back to the rebel base on Yavin 4, where Jin tries to convince the Alliance to attack the Imperial stronghold where the Death Star plans are being stored. When the Alliance refuses, Cassian, Baze, and Chirrut volunteer, along with a handful of rebel soldiers, to attack the stronghold themselves. They sneak into the base on a stolen Imperial ship they give the call sign Rogue 1-2. The rebel fleet joins Jin's group, and together they created enough of a distraction for Jin and Cassian to retrieve the plans for the Death Star and transmit them to the rebel flagship in orbit. However... The entire crew of Rogue One is killed in the battle, and to cover up the incident, Tarkin fires the Death Star on the planet and wipes everything out. The Rebels take the plans onto another ship and are boarded by Darth Vader. The data plans are finally handed off to Princess Leia as her ship escapes, and we know what happens after that. That's a good way of summarizing it and going through uh, what is a, a densely populated film there's a lot of characters in here and i guess we'll get into it uh, from the start i want to start where the film does uh you know we don't get a crawl or any of that we do get the long time ago in a galaxy far far away and which then, i liked yeah that was a nice touch i mean i 
I'm glad they didn't do that because to me, if you want to differentiate these films and have them be standalones, and we can talk about whether this one achieves that or not later on, but if you want them to be that, you got to do something different with them, yet still tie them to the universe, right? So the, you tie them with the blue, you know, sentence with the ellipsis, and then boom, you're right into it, and we get that shot onto Jen's planet, and I didn't know they were going to start here. I thought we were going to get all of this in flashback. I, when we do get a lot of flashbacks in this film, I, I don't think we've ever had that in a Star Wars film before, but we get them here, and I thought this was how this was going to go. But no, we get the whole opening uh, of this is Krennic coming for Galen Erso and his wife and daughter there on the wet. It, well, actually, it kind of looked like the wet planet in Interstellar uh, for a <laughs> minute. So <laughs> I don't know where it was. But yeah, I, I uh, they throw us right into it. I mean, they waste no time getting into this thing. Sound of music, man. Sound of music. <laughs> <laughs> It totally was. I mean, this was a lift from Sound of Music. If you guys have ever seen that, <laughs> I, well, I, I, have. I would think more yeah. of the Searchers, maybe. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, you got the main character when he's meeting with the Nazis, and his you know his family goes into hiding. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's completely it's it's an homage to that. I mean, without a doubt, it totally is, and it, it's a good scene. I mean, it's it almost kind of reminded me even of a of a little movie. I don't think Kurt's ever seen. It's called Inglorious Bastards, where <laughs> you had uh you know the Nazi I, guy uh, come in there and kind of interrogate and you know trying to figure stuff I, out. You know, basically trying to get this guy into his side. I mean, totally. I mean, this the beginning of the movie is is an homage to many movies, in my well, opinion. You're gonna kill me, but you want to know the beginning movie I was thinking of, and I don't know why because I haven't seen it in years. But the original Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan the Barbarian starts off <laughs> almost the same way. You know, I mean, you get the lead bad guy comes in, the mom stands up, she gets killed, the dad gets killed. You know, I'm like, well, that it kind of screws the the uh, protagonist from the beginning to be oh, I- against this this great evil person and. I mean, she's indirectly squaring off against him the entire film, and it has a showdown with him at the end. I mean, that it's, that's it's, it's a it's a it's a, it's a Disney cliche though too. I mean, it, the Disney movies. I mean, what's the one thing they're always known for is with the hero journey is that the hero has to be orphaned or has to have a parent die. I mean, you can name probably twenty Disney movies that have the same beginning. You know, from Bambi all the way up to even like the Lion King, where it's like. You know, it's the, the character has to have tragedy for them to be able to come, you know, come to the good side or to be able to set up a foal. Right. So it's it's very much like a Disney cliche in a way that this movie starts off with. But I found it like just very interesting is that with, you know, all seven of the Star Wars movies, uh, they're very contained movies. The, the, you know, you guys were talking about the opening crawl and how that was like, you know, the kind of the big departure. But to me, the departure for me for this movie, you know, compared to the other seven would be how. The original ones were all very much self-contained over a couple days. I mean, Empire Strikes Back is a movie that you could debate that with, with Luke's training and stuff. But for it to actually start off with a flashback was more jawing or jarring to me than actually missing the crawl because we've never seen that before. I mean, we, mm-hmm. we've never had a flashback or basically a jump in time in a Star Wars movie before. It was almost like a cold open to it. Yeah, it was very different. So I I liked it though. I mean, again, I was intrigued by it, even if it if it was reminding me of you know where I'd seen this a thousand other times. That's fine because I still thought, well, okay, now we've we've introduced the character and we've given her all the motivation I think she should ever need to want to join the rebellion. The funny part of it is, or I guess the twist of that is, she's not a part of the rebellion. She's just a 
drifter loner. I guess she's whatever happened to Natalie Portman after Leon got killed in The Professional. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I took her, right? Especially the way we, we get the Forrest Whitaker cameo there at the beginning where he looks in a barrel and there she is. So I'm like, okay, well, that she's going to go live with him. And the fact that she's not still with him when we catch back up with her surprised me a little. I kind of thought he would be her Obi-Wan somewhere along the way. Oh, thank Which God apparently is, apparently that is uh, deleted footage. Like uh, earlier you were talking about, you know, Force Awakens, you were going in cold. Or or, or this movie, you were going in cold or whatever. You didn't see many trailers. But the point, of the, the thing about this movie is you can go in, no matter what, you're going in cold. Because the trailers for this movie, uh, they're all good. But there's maybe a couple, there's like two lines from the trailers that are actually in the movie. Yeah, they're trailers to a different a, movie. That's the thing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like the big, like definitely Forrest Whitaker is definitely the young Saw Guerrero with the shaved head. And clearly there were some scenes uh, w- where we saw a lot of the young Saul Guerrero. That was actually one of the things that like made it look really cool and interesting in the, in the, some of those teaser trailers. And that's like, is not in the movie uh, at all. Having said that, this is a movie that, while the trailers are misleading, uh, I'm perfectly fine with, with with what we got as the final result. It doesn't usually happen, but but the, you know, but the trailers they did. Cut, there's a lot of stuff in the trailers like that is not in the movie. I'm just gonna go on record right now. I know there's this big thing about like studio interference and all this stuff. These people aren't dumb. I mean, when it comes to like actually viewing movies and trying to fix what they think is wrong i mean these people everybody always thinks these guys are just some like rich you know scrooge mcducks that don't know anything (laughs) so when you know when there's all this stuff about like rewrites and everybody is freaking out it's like you know what these people are all experts at what they do let's not monday morning quarterback this before the game starts i think though i i I agree with you nick you're you're right i think though too you've got to remember that there are fans of franchises who have seen what studio interference can do to their films and their beloved films. And it just, and also any person that is a, a worshiper of Ridley Scott and has listened to him rant at all for the last 30 years of his career talks about how the studios never get his films right. And you have to, you know, buy the extra double. Yeah. Yeah. Movie. I've seen the other Blade Runner yeah. version. Shut up, Ridley. No, no, yeah. but I, I think there's always, I think the best films are made when there's compromises involved. Well, it always has I think, to be. I, right? think, yeah. I think when you see something that's completely director, you know, focused. I mean, you look at something like the Hobbit movies. I can guarantee you that New Line, you know, WB, whoever wasn't, you know, MGM, you know, all the studios involved in there kind of let Peter Jackson do his own thing. And I don't think those movies were better for it. I think sometimes there True. needs to be restrictions. There needs to be constructive criticism in, in, in the, in the process. I know everybody, a lot of people are always like, let the creator create. Well, unfortunately, this is a hundred million dollar movie. That's not the case. But anyway, that's just, that, that's my little rant about that. Well, no, you, and you're not wrong. Look, there's always going to be that kind of thing. But I, I, what Kurt and I are saying, I think is that we're led to, think we're going to see one thing based on the trailer and but isn't that great though isn't that freaking great well i don't is know that, though i well, kind of no, no, wanted no, to is, see forrest whitaker i, I was because, interested in him i know but not, not only that but they actually have trailers for movies and it didn't give anything really away i mean it was like <laughs> this stuff was alternate takes or cut footage that we're never going to be able to see but it wasn't what the movie that we saw i mean so many times people complain that it's like oh well the trailer gave the whole damn movie away 
Well, guess what? This movie didn't do that at all. I mean, yeah. there was 90% of the trailer was not in this movie. It Great. set a tone. It set a feeling for it. And we went in there and we were completely shocked by what we saw when those scenes did not happen. I mean, we'll get into it later. There's a couple big ones that didn't happen here. But for me, I was like, man, that's freaking awesome. I hope that they do movies like this in the future because it's like enough giving away the entire movie with the trailer. You know what I mean? Yeah, like this is one of the few uh, action movies I can recall where the coolest scene of the movie wasn't advertised in the movie whatsoever. Like it goes against the way advertising goes in movies. Like, you know, like I love Mad Max Fury Road, but you know, when you see the storm in the trailer and like they show the shot of the car flipping around the storm blowing up, well, kind of ruins it for the movie in this movie. There's so much that is like, no matter what you see in the trailers, you're going in fresh. Cause they don't show it. Like I think of like, if this were any other movie advertised another way, you'd see the Darth Vader stuff all over the trailers. You'd see him switching on the lightsaber or something, but there's so many, there were so many just surprises in this movie that uh, made it such a fun uh, movie and very just refreshing as far as action movies go in this last couple of years. The thing that surprised me most about the film was how quickly the first act and the third act unfold. Like, the, uh, you know, I've already said they throw us right into this thing and they don't waste a whole lot of time getting to the part where we're breaking Jen out of whatever, you know, prison camp thing she's involved in. Like, we're getting down to the brass tacks of that really fast because we need her. We already know who she is, right? And since we know who she is, then the rebels know who she is. And so let's not mess around and... and try to figure out who can we turn and use no let's go get the daughter of the the daughter of the guys building the death stars out there in prison oh hell yeah go get her you know I mean, it's kind of like the way the rock doesn't waste any time getting to sean connery wisely you know let's just get huh. to it now my question for you guys too i mean we'll get into it i mean it's like okay well we, we have the flashback where she's a child and she gets gets rescued by forrest whitaker's character saul saul goodman and um then it flashes <laughs> forward then to where she's in a prison pr prison truck prison convoy or whatever how did the rebels know about her that was the one part i watched in this movie and then i was completely con completely confused when they came and they got her out i got the answer there Guerrero was one of them before he got so far out that they couldn't, you know, associate with him anymore or whatever. He was too extreme. So they obviously would have known who his compatriots were. I mean, he, the fact that he abandoned her when she was 16, that, you know, that doesn't mean anything. There was all those other years of him being a part of the rebellion. I also am not totally convinced that some of that wasn't a ploy because he was drawing so much heat from the Empire that he kind of went off and did his own thing to keep them a little more underground and that he maybe was feeding them information. Like, honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's somewhere on the cutting room floor. But that still doesn't answer my question, though. I mean, she's in that prison thing, and then they go to rescue her. Well, how I, did I, how, how, okay, so A plus B equals C. Okay, A, she's in the truck. B, they you know go and get her. C, she's freed. How did B happen? Like, how well, did they know that she? How did they, they know that she was there at all? That that's well, my this, question. There's probably just a missing scene where there's a mission to track her down and and find out, and they and they found her on this. Uh, this mining colony, whatever. She okay. is going like by a fake that. name. I mean, at the time, which I mean, and they reveal to her. I think Mon Mothma is the one that you know calls her out on that immediately. Is like, yeah, nice fake name. So I mean, uh, we're kind of led to believe here, and the fact that when we meet Cassian, uh, our other lead here, if we want to talk about him real quick, Cassian Andor here, that the rebels have some really good spies, and he's kind of a. I mean, he's a 
he's playing a little bit of Daniel Craig, James Bond here. I mean, he gets information out of a guy and he wastes him in the friggin' sewer. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, he actually, he reminded me of if you could take Han Solo and mix him with the Red Viper from Game of Thrones. That's <laughs> yeah. the character. Yeah, you know what? I got a Red Viper thing too. I was like, please, you know, don't talk too much. Just kill him. You know, yeah. so at the well, end. And I, I love that though too when he's like, you know, has that guy and he's kind of interrogating him and like getting information. He just kills him. Yeah, he just shoots and it's him because like, he's got everything he that, wants out of him. Yeah. And that is a total, total jab at George Lucas. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> really? Dude, the good guy just killed the guy in cold blood. And that, and that, and no, no, that is Han Solo shoots first. That is. It is. But I like the, the ruthlessness of it because, again, if this is a war movie and, and you know anything about look, war is full of all kinds of, of awful things you don't do in normal life. That's why it's not normal life. It's war. And that also means the dirty part of, of, uh, you know, trade craft. And sometimes this stuff happens, you know, and it's not like, uh, we're unaware of that now. And I, you know, I, I like the fact that he's got this edge to him. And he has this whole speech later with Jen too, about how, um, you know, he's been doing this since he was six and he's seen all kinds of awful stuff and he's had to do all kinds of terrible, heinous things, you know, for this rebellion. So don't tell him about what's right and wrong. And I think he has the best comeback, too, because she pretty much tells him, you know, whatever helps you sleep at night. And he's like, I don't have trouble with that or whatever. You know, and I, I was like, I like that. I'm like, you know, I like the fact that this guy's a cold bastard <laughs> and it bothers him that he is, you know, because yeah. he used to not be that way. But he is anyway. You know, it's it's similar to that scene in Saving Private Ryan where Tom Hanks finally tells everybody when they're all losing their shit about something what he did in his personal life that he was a school teacher or whatever and it just blows all their minds because he's such <laughs> a badass warrior and they're like you taught english you know and it's but it's it's those kind of people that make up fighting forces and and that's what we get about this dude too i i dug him as a character and i'm we're kind of spinning off of what the initial thing was is how did they find out where she is i, I think it's because they got good spies and uh, he's just an example of how good they maybe are. And who's to say he's even the best one? That's the thing is you, you don't th Cassian maybe not even be their best one, but he's good. And so I, that's how I think they got it, Nick. I think he said good spies. Yeah, he also he has a nice jacket though. I think uh, Han Solo still is looking. The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I think. I think uh, Poe Dameron got it in a hand-me-down store <laughs> decades later. But yeah. That would be funny if, like, it was that. Like, it just sort of kept passing its way through the underground markets of Star Wars. But anyway. Who knew that Wilson Leathers was still a galactic uh, influence in there? <laughs> uh, why not? No, no, I, I didn't have any problem with that. Again, I think, you know, we know what they're going to do. This girl is obviously going to be part of this. So let's not screw around with watching her push the wheat around the cart a la Conan. You know, I don't need to see her grow up. I, I can take all that and just... Uh, quiet quick exposition going by because this movie's going to fly by anyway and so i'm okay with that i didn't have any problem yeah. with them breaking her out at this point no not at all I, I, i'm gonna kind of go off on a little bit though what you're talking about how you like this guy i'm gonna tell you this right now and this is gonna kind of maybe spoil a little bit what i'm gonna get into i really don't care for these two characters Jin and you know this other guy i don't even know his name cassium? i know he's like the main guy yeah what's it cassium cassium yeah cassium <laughs> it sounds like a type of oil um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're just, I don't know. I mean, they never were endearing to me at all. I mean, I could hmm. see what they were going for with kind of the uh, Han Solo mix with him and kind of the uh, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Carrie Fisher kind of all in one with Jin. 
And I can tell you this, I just, I was never involved with these two characters. Now, the rest of the characters, we'll get into that. But these two, and I kind of find that as a failing for this movie, is that even with these beginning scenes with them breaking out, the only one in there that actually I was like, I like this character is K2SO. That's because yeah, Alan yeah. Tudyk is a great comic. But go ahead, Kurt. Well, I, I was going to say, I uh, I see what you're saying, and I've heard other people say that they didn't really like Jin uh, and Cassian. And I don't know if I liked them either, but I acknowledge them as as uh, good characters. But it, it does it, they're not like traditional Star Wars characters where, you know, if, if there's a good guy in a Star Wars movie, if it's done well, they're just really likable people. But uh, this movie is not a regular uh, Star Wars movie. And I definitely got a war vibe, war movie vibe with those with the whole movie and those two characters specifically. Like, they're not very deep characters at all. They're... Uh, they're just soldiers in this war. But shouldn't they be? Shouldn't they be? I mean, I think Jay made like a very apt comparison one. And one that actually went into this movie thinking was Saving Private Ryan. And I can tell you this right now is that every character from even like Vin Diesel's character in the beginning all the way to like Tom Hanks was I was endeared with these guys. Like just from the moment they were on screen, it was like I- these, these are guys that I like. And then these two, it was like throughout the entire movie, I just didn't like them at all. Well, I think there's a difference there, and I, I want to jump in on this, and I'll let you get back in on it, Kurt. But part, part of the thing that endears it in Saving Private Ryan is that's a real thing that actually happened to some of our grandfathers, and so we know those people. So that, there's that, okay? It's, but, not, but, weird. But, it's yeah, not weird but, alien but, worlds and shit like that. The second thing yeah. is, and, and I'm going to agree with you on this, though, Nick. These two characters, are two, they're as two-dimensional as pieces of cardboard. All right, they they, are. they yeah. are exactly what you see in front of. There's no depth to them at all. I would argue some of the supporting and side characters are the ones with all the depth here. The ones I'm interested in the backstory on way more. Like the blind uh, ninja monk guy. Oh yeah, I'm. I want to know more about that dude. You know, and and his partner. Uh, how did those two hook up? Because that's an odd couple if I ever saw one. I'm interested in those guys more than I am these. But what I'm saying is for what they represent and what they are as antag or as protagonists, I, I, I get it. I, I'm able to jump in with them because again, they are so plain and easy to avatar onto that I can follow them. Uh, the thing that, that makes the force awakens really work, honestly, is the two leads in it are young people there are so charismatic and so fun to watch that they're you root for them. Well, it's hard to root for people in a movie where you know they're going to die. And I think the movie makers in this realize that and they're like, we can't put too much behind these people because if, if everybody starts to fall in love with Jen Urso and then she's friggin' vaporized at the end of this, well, that kind of sucks. You don't, you don't do that to an audience. But what so, did that, but what so did that you make, make movie her relate? Like, no, you make her relatable enough. I, I think this movie is built on the idea of what's just enough that we can do this so we can get to the next cool set piece. I mean, that's one critique I have about it is that it moves really fast in some parts where I'd like it to tap the brakes and then it friggin' slows to a crawl in times when I'm like, can we get on with this, please? I mean, there's, there's a lot of the middle of this film that, well, I'll just tell you now, guys, the first time I saw it, I fell asleep. And I woke up at the end and I was like, did I see enough? You know, and then I actually went back and saw it again. I was like, oh, okay, well, that, now I know what I missed. But the truth was I could have just snoozed through it again and I didn't miss anything in the middle because I was, you know, again, I had already guessed the two twists. So I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't have as big a problem with them. I accept them for being the pieces of cardboard that they are. That's what I'm saying. 
Yeah, but See, I, but I, I hear what you're saying though with them dying at the end and it's stuff like that. But to me, it's like if you make these people like so much more likable and relatable, the sacrifice at the end is going to mean so much more. I mean, saving Private Ryan, for example, is you know when Tom Hanks dies at the end, it's heartbreaking. Not because it's you know it's a it's a real thing, you know, or a real war. It's just because you really like the guy. But it's, it's I mean, two different goals though. Though Nick, those guys are trying to save the one guy, and they do, and it's revealed to be the old guy in in the cemetery. So that's that's great in saving Private Ryan. In this one, we know what these people are there to do. They're there to transmit that thing. They get that done, and we know that you know their ultimate mission is something so much bigger than them. So the fact that I don't get to know them that well doesn't. I'm not going to ding the movie because I don't know them that well. I, like I I didn't need to. I didn't want to. Kurt, you've been trying to jump in between me and Nick arm wrestling over this for five yeah. minutes. So, so go ahead. The floor well, is yours. Your floor is yours, Kurt. Go. See, like I said before, uh, it, it was, it sounds like a, a negative when I, to say it, but I found the lack of depth with the characters in a way uh, refreshing. Cause unlike other star Wars movies, this isn't concerned. This movie is not very concerned with, you know, uh, a deep characters or, or deep story, which might sound bad, but I, I consider this movie is like a spy mo- a movie or a war movie that's focused on this, this mission rather than a love story or a morality play like the other star Wars movies. So I found the fact that I, I like the fact that they, they real the characters, they all just kind of got on with it for the most part. Uh, in fact, you know, like a lot of the one, well, a lot of one scene, a lot of people complain about is, uh, Jin giving the speech to kind of, you know, try and, uh, trying to convince the rebels to join up and rebellions are built on hope. If anything, that kind of goes against uh, what I liked about the character was that, you know, what was that? That, that was like, that was like, a, I, I, I just liked that. The, there wasn't that much depth that there were just, there were just cogs in this machine of the, the rebellion. Cause uh, the rebellion as a whole, to me, that's the, that's the character sort of that I was really with that. That's the character that sucked me in was just these rebellions as a whole in their war, as opposed to individual characters within it. Can I tell you the character I'm most interested in though, in this film by far is Ben Mendelsohn's character, mm. director Krennic. This one, this guy, I, I've become a fan of his by watching bloodline on, on Netflix. I don't know if either of you watched <laughs> that or not. It's oh, real, yeah. real big, slow big, burn drama. But big time. Very big good. Time. But very good. And he's great in it. He's fantastic in it. And so when he, you know, I knew he was going to be in this. I was like, oh, okay, great. You know, and I, I thought he just chewed the scenery up. Everything he was in. I loved this guy. He was everything I wanted a bureaucrat in the, in the empire to be because he's also someone who has kind of topped out career wise. Um, you know, Kurt, you and I are going to, are going to review a film next year of, of Kubrick's. And, and one of the ones we're going to do is paths of glory. And there's a character in there that I was sitting there watching this going like, Holy cow. It's the same thing. It's the general, you know, the mid-level general. And it's the same guy. And he's kind of hit a wall and he's got this big plan and he's trying to make this thing work. And I mean, Holy cow, I can relate to the idea of having this huge thing that you've got to undertake and, and oversee and it's just not working and you're doing everything you can to make it work and there are people above you who have no idea what it means to have to do this stuff who are giving you crap about getting it done on time and I'm like man I, I dug this guy I really did I was like you know if there's ever been a sympathetic empire character it's this guy because he's just trying to do his job and everybody keeps giving him shit for it and I, I dug it oh yeah I, I really like this character and specifically the way Ben Mendelsohn plays him who and Ben Mendelsohn is he is just one of the best 
character actors working right now. Every movie he's been in, he's never played the same guy twice. Watch, like, look at him in Killing Them Softly, Dark Knight Rises, Place Beyond the Pines, three completely different characters played completely different ways. And same here, totally different kind of character. And, and I love how you say he chewed the scenery. In my opinion, I think he, he, he played it very low key compared to what we've seen, uh, in other Star Wars movies, particularly, and I'll, I'll start, I'll bring this up now, which is I think this movie exceeds The Force Awakens in pretty much every uh, respect. And one of the biggest ones is with uh, the villain, the, well, not every villain, but the, the Krennic is so much better than uh, whatever the guy was, uh, Dominic, that uh, Domino Gleason was playing in, in Force Awakens. I hated that character. Not in the way of like he's a villain and I hate him in that way. I hated the performance and the way he was played. <laughs> he was so over the top and the way he was giving these speeches just rang so false and cheesy. He was a Whereas Nazi. Krennic, yeah, he was yeah, a Nazi. He was a Nazi. But Krennic, <laughs> but Krennic was also a Nazi, but he was more like – No, like, no, no. Krennic like is, is middle management. I mean I think like – you know, I, like. I don't know much about Kurt's like career and stuff like that, but I know like, you know, me and Jay, we talk a lot about jobs and stuff like that. And I think just the political basis of any type of like white collar office type job, this guy, he is playing middle management. And it's just like, and I'm going to say this about, 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 about this actor is he's deliciously pathetic. And that's, <laughs> that's a good way is, of saying it. It is. I mean, like in bloodline, he, that's what he is. And it's just like, it's relatable because the flaws that he has as a character, you're sitting there and you're kind of slapping your head being like, grow a spine, but you've been there. You've been a part. You've been that guy before. I mean, I, I deal with that in my job every day where it's like me, I'm, I'm not management per se, but I'm, I'm such in like the middle of where I am at my career that it's just like, yeah, you got people that are below you that look up to you and ask for your opinion, but then you got these upper management people that will sit there and they'll actually like the success the hard stuff that you work for they'll come in in the you know the 11th hour and freaking take that from you to make themselves look better to the big ceo or in this case be the emperor and Can that's I why i think that that's why yeah. this character is great i mean he's completely different than dominic leeson's character in the force awakens because the force awakens that the way the um I guess it's not the emperor anymore. It's the first order or whatever they call it. To me, that's just like that, that that's Nazism on just kind of like a broad sense where this is like, you know, basically like what our culture is capitalism and being like what you, what happens when you're in the cycle, you're in the gears of what can, it's like to be in a capitalistic company. Can I tell you what, why I think I like this character so much? And, and I'm just going to go on a little bit of a rant here. Okay. And this is, I may be completely wrong about this, but I, I feel like I'm, I'm watching a director secretly tell all of us, this is what it was like to make this movie. And I am Krennic. I think this is Gareth Edwards is <laughs> that he feels like he's got this huge thing in front of him and he knows he knows how to do it. And then there's all these larger entities above him. Telling him, no, you got to do it left and not right and all of this. I, I feel like this is a little bit of what Christopher Nolan does sometimes with his movies where he's one of the characters and you figure it out you know, after watching it a few times. I think Krennic is so relatable because I think the director put a lot of himself in this thing. I know Gareth Edwards didn't have a, a you know a big writing credit on this or anything like that, but I think he had a lot of influence on it. And I feel like this character is an avatar for what, he went through making this film and the behind the scenes stuff of it. I mean, think about it. It's a, it's a perfect uh, analogy for it. I mean, the, the large 
Empire is, you know, Disney. And, and you've got uh, Grand Moff Tarkin and uh, Darth Vader, so Kathleen Kennedy and, and, and whoever else, you know, I guess not Lucas, but you've got all of that hanging over you. And then you've got all these other people underneath you trying to undermine you and destroy it from below you. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I kind of feel like that's why I maybe related to him because I did know that this was a production that had eventually been taken away from the original director and had been changed. And he went with it, but I mean that—that's known. I mean, it's not like that was, you know, I, I did not know that going into this. So the fact that I know it, I can't not know that and watch this performance and not see that. But beyond that, beyond the metaphorical part of it, I just like the fact that the guy is evil and he has no apologies for it. He doesn't care because he thinks his side is right. And that's the thing about the Empire that I always liked about the Grand Moff Tarkin character in A New Hope is that he was totally convinced that he's right he you know he it's not that he's a bad guy he's doing what his you know group wants to do we, we're in control we're going to stay in control damn it and if we have to blow planets up to do it then so be it i like the fact that he plays it the same way that all these guys in the empire they're not conflicted i mean that's the thing we learn about darth vader is that we're to believe ultimately that he's constantly tortured and convicted by this tug of war of the good and the bad inside of him right well the rest of the empire isn't that way i mean for the most part they're all pretty much like yeah no we're the empire we're going to stay that way and i like the fact that he there was no hesitation on his part except he should have shot the girl when he had a chance and not talked to her but you know that's that's every <laughs> that's every villain's problem just ask john mcclain so well not not only that but I, the, you know we go back to the flashback is one thing i i think is very current i guess with the political landscape is you got uh mad mickelson's character talking to him and they're t he's talking about like this weapon that they're that they've made and you know he's just like questioning he's like you know this thing's destruction and you got you know krennic where he's like no this is going to bring peace and it's like well no it's gonna bring destruction well if you have to do destruction to bring peace that's what we'll do and it's like oh my god that sounds like our new president coming <laughs> well it also <laughs> sounds like what harry truman had to say when he dropped the a-bomb on japan it's the same thing i mean it's, it, it is it is know. it is it's 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 so political in that way and i i liked it where it was just like yes this is this is the way politics are where it's like we're going to create this thing of mass destruction but we're not going to use it it's just there. I mean, the Death right. Star. I mean, it's always been an it's always been an analogy for nuclear weapons. I mean, it, it always is. I mean, that's what it is. It's a big, gigantic nuclear weapon, and I just I, I like that that they actually call it out in this movie that it's like that the Empire, you know, didn't necessarily create this thing to go around and just keep on blowing up planets. It's, it's a deterrent. Well, that's what they say it is. Yeah, exactly. yeah. It's a, it's. I mean, they do bring that up in a New Hope. It's it's to keep people in line, and I just think it's like. Just stuff like that is why I love the old trilogy, especially the original Star Wars and how like the prequels failed where it was like they went off so off the wall with all their you know political crap where it was like the old trilogy and this one, they just keep it simple. You know what I mean? They keep it just like, yep, this is a nuclear bomb, but we're not planning on using it, but we will use it if we have to. <laughs> Basically, just to sum up on, on Krennic, what I, what I do like about him and the Empire as a whole in this movie is they are played real uh, for, for the most part they're played a l little bit lower key a little more grounded and on that note i want to say it's been ever since i saw this movie like as much i i kept i loved it but i kept thinking i i can't find a real great way to describe the, the certain tone of this movie but the closest i can come to is to me it's like if you gave the game of thrones guys uh, a star wars movie <laughs> this is the kind of movie they would make in yeah. terms of uh 
as much as it's you know this the high fantasy and you, you know we it's a movie with Darth Vader in and so forth, it's treated with a certain level of reality and gravitas that it just it feels so much more real than than well than Force Awakens. You guys talking about Krennic being uh, a character who was uh, as much as he you know he is an evil bastard. He is a little bit has more shades of gray in him than other characters we've seen in the Star Wars movies, uh, even though as evil as he is, but he's not. Like, like again, Tarkin doesn't isn't a guy who thinks he's evil. He's not the emperor. He's not like like they're just trying they're just trying to control uh, the galaxy and and ruler. They're not they're not out to kill people. Whereas in Force Awakens, General what's his face Domino Gleason is definitely his performance is I'm a villain who knows he's a villain and is doing evil stuff. And I'm gonna and they blow I, up you know whatever twenty I, planets. And it, I will also say though that's those are from two characters from different positions of power. Krennic's position is they're in control. Domino Gleason's character, which we should probably look up the name of it since we, we're just naming it by him at this point. <laughs> but I mean, that guy is from a position where they've been defeated and shattered and they're trying to restore things. So of course he's going to have a different tact than the way Krennic does. It's like, um, if, if you're a fan of football at all, like the National Football League, uh, right now, like the most evil person in the league is Bill Belichick because he's on top. You know, cause he's been on top for so long and his team is just a machine and they, you know, they just roll over people joylessly, you know, for the most part and stuff. But back when they started that run, he was a guy getting a second chance at, you know, being a coach and all this stuff. So they were kind of the, oh, everybody wanted to root for the Patriots, you know, and then they became the evil empire. You're, you only, you have a different attitude when you're on top than when you're looking up. And I, I think that's the difference in the two characters. And I'm with you because Mendelssohn plays it the way he does. When I said choose scenery, I think it's the fact that he does great performance and great lines and things like that for delivering lines about just ridiculous stuff. And this movie's ridiculous. Okay. But to, to chew it up and do it the way he does is really good. Instead of playing it so big, I think it was a smart choice and that makes him more relatable to us than the, the ranting Nazi that we just want to see die. At, yeah, like, I don't at, think he raises awakens. his voice like I don't think he raises his voice like even two times in this movie. No, he didn't have to. That's the that's the beautiful thing is he doesn't have to. And I, can I say too, the costuming in this film, I love the way he's done with that white cape. I mean, they do the dumbest thing in the beginning of this. He's in a spaceship and he lands twenty miles away from the place he wants to go just oh, so he can no, just no, so he no, can no, walk across the field. And I thought that, that was that, cool, but it's it's like well, but that's to show that off. But I think that looks cool. And there's that thing in the trailer too where he's walking by all the dead bodies on the beach and i'm like i like the fact that his cape is just kind of flapping beneath him i i'm down with that that is such the empire empire's motif though dude is they never <laughs> land next to where they need to go they love making an entrance okay empire strikes back <laughs> they land their walkers miles away True. and they put them all next to each other and march in a straight line i mean they are old school British military, we're going to march in formation and march at you. This isn't guerrilla warfare with them. I mean, they, that, that's true. the whole thing. I mean, they, they, they are Nazis. I mean, they're stylish and they want to make an entrance. This I mean, is that's, true. You're, you're that, right. That's, that, that's what they are. Well, look but at yeah, the way I, they fight. I mean, the way we get the fights in Jeddah, I mean, we're at that point now where they, they've convinced that we would have to mull over the fact about what it takes to get Jen on board here or whatever. They land in Jeddah and some great scenery looking stuff here too, man, when they, they're dealing with saw and all that stuff. And she's, 
with Cassian and they're fighting it out with the stormtroopers in town there. I love it because again, they're all in lines and they're getting killed by these guerrilla warriors. I mean, that's exactly how this works out. And so what's weird is for me as, you know, this American who's this super capitalist or whatever to watch movies where I'm asked to now root for the guerrilla warrior. You know, when my yeah. country has been at war with guerrilla warriors for, you know, chunks of my life from Vietnam to now the Middle East. And, and I'm going, well, this is a little awkward, but, you know, it, it's what we're asked to do here. It does feel weird. I mean, it's almost like the reverse of Black Hawk Down. If you guys ever seen that yes, movie where yes. you got the people going through, you know, Somalia and you got, you know, people that are basically got face masks on and stuff like that basically waiting for the opportune time to attack them. And one thing I'm actually going to bring up that's kind of actually I thought was kind of funny was when I went to go see this house with, you know, my entire family, meaning my parents and my mom's not really a big star Wars fan or really knows much about it. I think the only movie she's seen is the force awakens. And she actually had been getting thought that the empire was the good guys. <laughs> I'm dead serious because we actually walked out of the movie and she was like, I was kind of confused in the beginning because I thought the guys in white were the good guys. That, that's <laughs> awesome. That's and, and I think that's because of basically how it's framed. And yeah. exactly what you're saying is that you got this area that kind of looks like it's full of, you know, you know, filth and disgustingness. I mean, whatever the, you know, the Obi-Wan expression for, you know, the, in, in a new hope when he's talking about um, a scum and villainy. Yeah, exactly. And then you got these guys who are, they're dressed nice. Well, okay. They, can can I say something about and they're that? Marching though? In formation. Can I say something about that though? That's punctuated by the fact that they have to shove in those two guys from the cantina scene in the middle of all this crap, which terrible. terrible. I was like, all of that crap. I'm like, that is, all, whoever's idea that was that you should be fired that's a bad idea that, that, that was a that board that, that was a boardroom decision where they're going I, this and I, they had someone sit there and go what about if we put them in there people will like that <laughs> kurt are you with us on this or did you dig that kind of thing i i i totally dug that like, <laughs> on that note i want to say one of the things i was afraid this movie was going to be was going to be like godzilla was very serious like godzilla was a very like i'm okay with movies taking themselves seriously i like mm -hmm. like nolan's batman movies but there is a line of where it becomes so unpleasant that it's just you re you, for, you realize halfway through it i'm not having fun in this movie uh, during the movie I, I paid to see uh i paid my 13 bucks to see and that was something i was very concerned with this movie a lot of people who don't like star wars were very excited for this movie because they thought, <laughs> oh, thank God, we're going to get a super gritty, not like it basically just sounded to me like they wanted a movie that wasn't fun, wasn't funny, barely had any action or whatever they, whatever they was, they did not want a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Boy, they, they signed up for the wrong boat. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and what I was pleasantly surprised with was how fun this movie was and how many uh, Easter eggs there were for Star Wars fans. That one with the two guys is a little, you know, that, that one is a bit much. But we're, we're talking Easter eggs. I think uh, my favorite Easter egg in this movie is the insertion of uh, Grand Moff Tarkin in this movie is probably the most expensive Easter egg or like uh, fan moment in movie history. Because uh, I, I want to say oh, that, that, that was yeah. a big moment for me. And, and one of the most memorable parts of this movie was when we see him in a reflection, I thought for a second, maybe that was all we're going to see. And like they, oh, the, the CGI guys made a reflection, or, um, and then when he turned around and was talking, it was like, and they weren't cutting away. I was thinking, oh, hold on, did they get a guy who looked like like Peter Cushing, like in, like what they did in 
at the uh, at the tail end of Revenge of the Sith because I thought it looked way too much like 1970s aged Peter Cushing. After a few yeah. seconds, I realized, oh man, they 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 did what I would hope they would do is that they re- remade Peter Cushing in, in CGI. They and I for one on think somebody that they had a poor oh, yeah. express actor. I mean, the, yeah. And I yep. and I for one think this is truly one of the best single visual effects created in a movie. Seriously, I'd rank this with stuff like Gollum in Lord of the Rings or even going back to stuff like Roger Rabbit as far as making a truly believable special effect because like when I saw this movie, there was definitely a murmur in the crowd. Like one time like I, when I saw it with my dad, he literally turned to me and says, "I thought that guy wasn't around anymore." Like it did like it just the fact that for a split second anyone was thinking Peter Cushing was still alive to me is a testament to the the effects work on that on that character. I agree with you that the effect of that is so much better than I thought it was going to be because I had heard they were going to put him in this and this is how they were doing this and I thought okay now you know th- I don't know about that let's let's see so it looked a way better and the voice actor they got to do the the voices did a great job with it but I questioned the necessity of it. Because I think you could have recast that with someone similar to him and, and what he did. And even, even if you ADR'd it and you did the voiceover on the, on the other end, I don't know that it was necessary to spend the $20 million or whatever it costs to pull that off. Now, it's kind of neat that they did. And I think it's a total Star Wars fanboy serve moment, you know, totally. But I don't know that it was necessary. I, I want the character there. I want to be clear about this. I love the character. I love what he does in this film. I think it's well done. But I don't know if it needed to be done that way. Why couldn't they just recast it with an actor? Well, I, yeah. I salute I salute Disney for for doing it for for the sake of like the realism and the timeline of the story. Because like let's like Rogue One takes place. Let's say. Two uh, minutes before the uh, the fourth exactly. film, yeah. So, so and they do that and do this again later in the movie where they bring in a couple characters that were in a New Hope who realistically would be there. Like when we first meet Tarkin, he's on the Death Star. So like there's no like you know he's not on Coruscant. He would be on the Death Star the whole time. And I think it's both on one hand it's like I I want to ask Gareth Edwards like God that was like why that, that almost like a cruel thing to do to the to the crew because like you know that the the effects guys must have been going uh like seriously like you want us to do that instead of you cast anyone like I I was shocked that Ian McDermott is alive and well you could have easily brought the emperor back for that scene instead they did something far more expensive and far more difficult uh but was more true to like the this idea of the the of this prequel to episode four and I thought I I loved it we don't need Ian McDermott, please. No, I think we've had enough of them after episode three. But I am going to come down on a different stance. Um, I like that they included him. I think they included him in the wrong way. Um, if you go back to the original trilogy, there was always um, a big thing about using holograms. Hmm. Whether it was Vader talking to the guy from you know Indiana Jones when he was piloting the At At in Empire Strikes Back. To, you know, Empire, the Vader talking to the Empire in Empire Strikes Back, you know, when he's in his like, uh, you know, meditation chamber or whatever. I think they could have done it in a way like that. Now, do I think the special effect was great? No. Do I think it was bad? No. I come down in the middle. I was like, could I tell it was an effect? Yeah, of course I could. But was it a bad effect? 
No, it wasn't. I think they did a good job. And I think that in 10, 15 years, we're going to look back as, you know, because I think this is going to be the future where yeah. death, death is not going to prevent an actor from being in movies anymore. I think it's going to be something where if the estate of that person wants them to be in a movie or whatever, that they'll be in it. And I think this is going to be something where this is going to be the first time that it was ever used prominently. I think we always used to look back at something like the crow with Brandon Lee where this, but this one's going to actually be where they did a full character with a dead person. I mean, that's and, the thing is this it isn't like he's in one scene. This is a performance. I mean, he's, yeah, this he's is, also this, starring the ghost of yeah. Peter Cushing. He's the heavy of the movie. Yeah, exactly. This isn't Princess Leia at the end where it's an Easter egg or a cameo. I mean, this is a full-fledged role. I mean, if this would have been an actor, he would have been like eighth or ninth build on the um, you know, the casting sheet. Right. So this this to me, this wasn't an Easter egg. This was a full-fledged role. Now, going back to it, I still think that they could have done something a little bit more creative. Again, it's kind of like, you know, you look at the movie Jaws, a movie that me and Jay will be doing in the future, um, uh, 1970s classic Jaws. And I think the reason that movie works so well is because you couldn't see the shark for the majority of the movie. They had to do creative compromises to be able to include it. And I think that because this movie has, you know, $200 $200 million budget, whatever the hell it is, that basically it was like, you know, you can have your cake and eat it too here, where I think if they would have had a little bit more restraint, I think it would have been better. I think it would have been better to have him on a hologram, maybe done stuff where you see him from behind, you see his reflection on the mirror, as opposed to putting him full front and center, because the, that that's the problem is the effect is not perfect. I mean, it's not. We all know that it was a CGI character, and the fact that we all know that that character's, that actor's dead it just reinforces that fact that you're looking at this guy trying to figure out how they did this. And it just makes the effect that much more obvious. Can I say this though? Honestly, like I knew this was going to be an effect. And the first time he popped up, I was like, Oh, that's, that's an effect. I was like, oh, that's well done. And honestly, because he's so big in the film and like Kurt said, he's the heavy of the film as it wore on. I actually caught myself forgetting that I was watching something that had been created on a Macintosh. Same here. Whatever. Like I actually got lost in the fact that I'm like, man, holy cow, that's a really good Peter Cushing impersonation like, they're doing. But, but, but the fact though, that you said though, effect and Peter Cushing impersonation shows that it wasn't flawless. No. And well, I'm not I, saying, I'm I, not I, saying it was flawless. I just am saying it was, it was good enough that I got lost in the fact that it was just an effect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, by the time like his second or third, like scene came on, I was used to what it looked like, but I still think that by doing this and the fact that it's not perfect is going to draw criticism upon the fact that they did this. Well, see, I, I think it's even better than you, you guys are saying. I honestly think uh, there's no way to prove this, but I think if you had if you just time traveled Peter Cushing from 1976 or whenever they filmed A New Hope and brought him into this movie and lit him and shot him like a 2016 movie – I think this is what he would look like. And in that respect is why I think it's, I think it's as close to flawless as CGI can get. In my opinion. Yeah. But, but I guess, you know, we'll kind of go off a little bit here, but the ethical backings behind that. I mean, we did bring up in the beginning of the podcast that Carrie Fisher, unfortunately has left, left us. And, you know, with the new star Wars movies coming up, if they would do this with her in episode nine, I doubt it. I but but I, that, but 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 the precedent's already been set. But yeah, but like like <laughs> one thing that it makes it a little easier on the effects guys is Tarkin really just stands around on the Death Star. I, I I don't think I'd be stunned if they actually tried to give Leia a proper role 
in episode nine anymore uh, with well, what, with this well, tech. I think that'd be that'd be if they did. I'd, I mean, I have to see it to I'd have to see that to believe it. But again, we're not talking about a movie that's coming out this year. We're talking about a movie that's coming out in three years. Yeah, time's gonna have passed already. And let's say that they use that in episode nine to give her a proper farewell. The ethical consequences of doing that i mean is is i guess that's just kind of what i'm gauging from you guys is i mean it, 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 it is a side note but it kind of goes back to this with tarkin is like do you feel though that this is like ethical in a way that they actually are doing this and he's i think even he said like alec guinness hated his work his his experience making star wars apparently uh, uh peter cushing could not have had more fun and said i he said he loved it he said his only regret is that they killed him off and couldn't be in further movies and hit Reading that quote is why I, I see no ethical dilemma. I think, like, until we all die and ask him, hey, so what do you think about your performance in Rogue One? That's the only time we're really going to get, like, a final word on that. But I don't think this is, like, it's not like they had him do anything, uh, you know, <laughs> against the character or something Peter Cushing wouldn't do. It's like, so I, I think it's, you know, I think it's perfectly ethical. Okay. Well, Just as, well, long as, he doesn't have, as long as he doesn't have a shower scene, it's cool. Okay, let's let's not talk about that. All right, so getting back to the film here, though, guys, we, we're at the we, we meet some of our secondary characters here that we really need to talk about. Some of these guys, okay? I, we talked a little bit about Jen and Cassian, and and I've mentioned that I like the K two character as a a good comic relief and things like that. But I'm going to be honest with you, it's Chirrut and Baze. Those guys are fun. Like you have the blind monk force worshiper who. You know, it's everything you think in the Shaolin monk tradition of, of Jedi's, right? Like if, if the Jedi were still around, he would be one, even though he's blind, because he can kill people with that stick. And then you've got like his <laughs> machine gun toting friend, you know, who, and they just go around killing people. I mean, Nick, you talked about it a minute ago, you know, you and I were reviewing Jaws. Ross is going to review Jaws 3, and there's two guys in that film that are kind of the same way. Fitzroyce oh and his camera you did, not, you did not just do that. <laughs> well, yeah, these I are know. done better. So, but no, I, I, but I got to tell you, these guys, I love the fact that like we meet, uh, uh, Chirrut, and he's like, He's sitting there and Jen is playing with this kyber crystal on her neck, right? Because what we find out is that the Empire is mining the kyber out of all these different planets because that's what powers the Death Star's labor, laser. And if you know anything about, you know, EU stuff in, in, uh, Star Wars movies, that's what powers Jedi's lightsabers. And so yep. the idea of the Death Star laser being like a, big ass lightsaber i'm down for that like i get it and that they would have yeah. to mine something and and destroy something to make it work yeah i'm i'm cool with that and she's rubbing it and he's so in with the force that he's like i you know you give me that necklace i'll tell you a lot more about you you know and he's like this little <laughs> fortune teller guy and i'm like I, I love that i love the fact that this guy's sort of a i don't know he's he's just wasting his time there on planet nowhere you know <laughs> waiting for something to happen and but clearly can handle himself, and I don't. I, don't, I just dug the dude. I, I I don't know. I know it's cheesy, and and some of his performance is a little a little much. Like when he ta later on he takes up the staff and he starts chanting and you know walks across the bullets and he doesn't get shot and all that crap. I'm like, okay, well, whatever, you know. But no, that stuff that stuff's great. But I, I do want to just really <laughs> yeah. quick interject was that Gareth Edwards actually just did an interview the Kyber crystal that uh that uh, Jen was wearing. Um, he he actually confirmed that his mother. Her mother was a Jedi. That's interesting. Okay. That makes a lot more sense now. So, um, and I, I guess I think about, 
you could probably put up a backstory there is that maybe he fell in love with her and stuff like that. And it's actually even more interesting when you think about like Jedi not having kids and that, you know, maybe she's, you know, she's an offspring of a Jedi, which is, you know, kind of puts her on the same level as someone like Luke or Leia or something like that. But just something I just kind of wanted to bring up really doesn't mean anything to the review, but something I thought was cool. That is interesting to know. Yeah, it's a good note. So, But I, I love I love these two. Those two characters, they are my favorite characters in the movie. Like like at, at, a, at a point like. It's it's very you know adds to the sadness of the movie. It's like like if you asked me what what would I, if they did make a sequel to this movie, it's like right away I want the adventures of uh, of Chirrut and Baze. I want to see these guys like 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 why did where did Baze get that gun? Why is he carrying it around? What does this guy do uh, in in his day job? But I I love those two characters. And the, the only thing I don't don't like about Chirrut is I think they miss an opportunity. I'm not sure why they didn't just go all the way and make him like a blind Jedi and give him a lightsaber. Because especially like it's Donnie Yen, who is one of the greatest martial artists in the history of certainly film. I would love to see what this guy would do with a lightsaber because you see what he does with a staff. It's like I'm almost like shocked. Like there's so many fan moments. They didn't go all the way in, in that respect because clearly oh, oh. if he gave him a lightsaber, he'd know. I, I thank thank you, Disney and Gareth, for not making him a Jedi. I think it's so yeah. much cooler that he's not, that he's obviously force sensitive in a way. But he's not a fully trained Jedi. I think that was such a genius move to have someone that is like so close to it, but not all the way. I mean, that's why we like Luke in the first one was that he had these abilities, but he wasn't there yet. And I think it was just so cool that he wasn't like that. And actually, and Jay's going to think I'm nuts here. I think that, you know, these two characters, I think they were a little bit more than friends. I really do. I think oh, that they I don't think a, you're nuts at all. I think that's totally there. I just wasn't. I, 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 and I actually, and I think that was a way of Disney kind of gauging that stuff on here as far as audience reaction is huh. these two, I think, were basically, you know, boyfriend and boyfriend here. And actually, you know what? I love their characters. These two right here. If I, if I could have a movie with them in K2SO, I would be just thrilled. I love these two characters so much. I think that the, the, him and just his, like, you know, the four, you know, I'm one with the force, the forces with me. I just, everything that he did, I thought was great. I loved his humor. The part, I, the funniest part of the movie, too, was when they get captured. And they're putting bags over everybody's head. And it's like, really, I'm and he's blind. Like, yeah, re- yeah. I, I, guys, I'm blind. <laughs> what am I going to do? It's just like, it's it's moments like that that we're missing from the prequels, uh, prequel series where it's just like, it's just <laughs> obvious humor that just hits at the right time. And it was well, great. I, I'm, I'm going to side with Nick, too, in this one, Kurt. I'm glad they didn't make him a Jedi with the, with the lightsaber thing because it pays off something from... A new hope. And so much of this film is paying off a lot of that stuff that's going to come. But there's a great line before Vader force chokes somebody in a boardroom because he's bored. Right. When he, the guy's going like your devotion to that ancient religion, blah, blah, blah. In other words, like this is crap. Nobody believes anymore. Well, there's still a couple dudes out there that do. And it's good to see somebody that does. Like we've never seen anybody else besides Vader and Yoda. Mm who did like even obi-wan doesn't you you know he's sort of the disgraced you know priest or whatever if you think of it this guy is like a complete devotee to force as a religion and i i liked that motif that idea that 
Yeah, he would be on a planet uh, that was the you know the home of the Jedi when they were a thing, and we're going to see the final destruction of their temple and what you know their ruins and all that stuff in this moment here, and he's still going to go off on a. It's going to be his motive for the revenge here is that he's a devotee to it. So I, I like that. I thought it was a nice touch. Uh, again, Donnie Yen completely owns it because he's so good with that staff, and he just beats the crap out of all those guys in the the storm trooper uniforms i mean that's the thing too we see about stormtrooper uniforms the sound design in this is amazing because it sounds like that's what a stick would sound like when it hit a bunch of plastic you <laughs> know i mean yeah i mean it was it it was fun it was like it was almost like for a minute i was playing with my gi joes again versus star wars <laughs> and the gi <laughs> joe got won that round you know Def- definitely and, and, and even Snake the fact about, yeah even him being a jedi was that lucas made a big mistake in the prequels in my opinion where he made the jedi so overly powerful I mean, these guys are flipping off, jumping off stuff. If he was a full-fledged Jedi, I think the audience who is already aware of the Star Wars would probably think, well, this guy should be leading. This guy could basically do this all on his own. He's a freaking Jedi. And I like the fact that they're showing that there's different levels between people. You know what I mean? As far as like, there's like, you got your normal people, you got the people that are kind of force, force sensitive, and then you got the people who have trained and become Jedi. There's no doubt that if this guy would go to like Dagobah for a couple of weeks with Yoda, that he would be luke's level or something around that but the fact is is that he's got that talent it just hasn't been honed yet and i think that's just it's it's adding another layer into this universe which we have not got yet and i think that's just fantastic yeah we you talk about the the, the that that layering and like uh and yeah we like that in the new in, in a new hope and vader's talking about like you know the force is some hokey religion and so forth that is one thing i love about this movie and hopefully about the the future spinoffs is the Star Wars, well, the, the Star Wars saga, those seven movies, those are about the people that change the galaxy, that are the the center of the galaxy, that changed the entire universe. The spinoffs, this movie specifically, is just about the people who live in the universe. Like, the, like this movie is all about the aftermath of like all that stuff that was just you know, a couple people in some rooms in, in Revenge of the Sith that took over the galaxy. What we're seeing in Rogue One is the aftermath of that. Like when. Like all like the you know all the rebels like uh, what is it Cassian talking about I've been in this since I was six you know the only people who have lost someone it's like the aftermath of the empire taking over the galaxies there's so many families that have been uh, destroyed and and I love the way the the Jedi are thought of like the emperor is definitely taking some glee in that like that is how the Jedi are thought of now they're that they're extinct that you know I love when bases and there's no Jedi here it's like you know it's such a like the the defeat of the Jedi it's, it adds a, level, a certain level of sadness if you've seen all the movies it's like man they used to like be the protectors of the universe and now pe- half the people don't even you know believe them like like Han Solo does yeah well and because they were the stupidest protectors of the universe they're no longer in control because <laughs> we've seen the prequels but no I like the fact that we introduce these people here though they get along for the ride uh, we're going to talk about K2 I want to talk about him and his big scene later on when he's holding off the the forces and stuff because I think that's <laughs> the best way to get into him but we got to move the the story along here we know that uh, cassian has been given orders to go kill galen or so and and jen knows where you know he's going to be and she's like we're going to go get him 
and he's going to be the one that tells everybody this, this great secret and stuff. I'm not going to you know, have to deliver a message. He's going to deliver it himself because I'm going to save my father, yada, yada. And they go on this great thing. And, and this is where the movie I'm starting to go. Can we get on with a little bit? Because I feel like this drags just a little bit long. Like we do the, the Armageddon crash on the, you know, a miles away from where they need to be. And then we send the two guys out, one to be the, you know, the lookout and one to be the sniper here. And he doesn't. The lookout doesn't know that the sniper's there. And the whole time, Jen's like, I ain't, you know, I'm not going out there alone. So she goes off. It's like everybody slowly but surely peels out of that ship except the the, the droid because he's like, y'all are crazy to yeah. go out in the rain against that. And it, I want to say, this is a cool looking set. Like, I love the little landing bay in the side of the mountain and all this stuff. Like, I'm like, yeah, this is... I, you know, I'm from the South, so I know Oak Ridge, Tennessee, where we did a lot of uranium testing for the, <laughs> the nuclear bomb. And if you've ever been to Oak Ridge, it's like this secluded place in the mountains. It's like this. And I'm like, yeah, I could see a Death Star being built in a place like this, like, or the design for it being built here. I get it. And I just liked it. I like the fact that all of it happens. And I like the showdown too between Krennic and, and Galen, because Galen just tells him straight up, no, I'm the guy that I'm the mole. I'm the mole. You don't have to kill these, these, you know, other scientists that I've duped into this and he's like, shoot him anyway. And they shoot him down. And I'm like, holy shit, this is, this is, this one, the movie, I'm like, man, this is dark. I'm like, I'm surprised they let this keep going because I, I was digging it though. I got back into the movie at that point because you've also got the ticking clock of the rebels are sending in the bombing squad. And it's like, you're about to be killed by friendly fire. And I'm like, this, this is going to be a problem for everybody. And I, I don't know. I, I dug it. It got the movie get back going for me because it slowed down at that point. I, I see what you're saying. Like, uh, the uh, the mission to kill Galen uh, and then uh, casting doesn't do it. What I, l- I like that aspect of the story, again playing into this 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 war movie aspect is, I like the, the idea that the rebels aren't above being evil bastards when they want to be if they th- think it's it's a, a means to their end. I like that in terms of that level of gray again, like we see that in in, in Game of Thrones. Not everyone who you know in the North is a is a good guy. Not everyone in the rebels is a is a, is a nice guy like the guy who orders uh casting to kill him uh he does it behind mon moth was back uh you, he, he, not, he doesn't even have a really good reason as to why but i, I just love that the idea that there's good and the good and evil on, on on both sides uh part of it and i i, also, I love how uh galen is killed by one of the rebel ships and not a tie fighter which you know mm-hmm. i mean it, I, I saw galen dying but i didn't see him dying like that killed by his own guy killed by the good guys well, I like the fact, though, that he's a casualty of, even though he's doing the right thing or whatever, he is responsible for for this. And so he pays the consequence for it. But, I, I you know, he, he gets the moment to tell his daughter what she needs to know, which is, again, the news we've all known, you know, and that uh, I had guessed. And it, I'm, I'm not saying I'm some Nostradamus because I guessed that. I was like, well, look, that makes total sense. I'm like, hey, you're going to tie this crap up. This is that's a great way to do it. It's like, you know, if you coerce <laughs> me into into building your evil war machine, well, screw you. I'm going to give the plans to blow it up to my daughter. So I, I like it. I mean, I, I'm down for that. I mean, I thought I thought it was a well, well-placed piece. I like the fact, though, that we we do get what I would normally consider like the ultimate cheesy moment with uh you know him dying in his daughter's arms and all that. I was like, uh, we're we gonna do that again. See, that but was a Star th- Wars scene. Yes, it, yeah, but you know what? They didn't play it too long. Like I was actually happy with the fact that they they got on with that quicker than I thought they would. And I don't know if some of it was cut or whatever, but they moved that along quite well. I thought. 
Yeah, I mean, you you watch the scene. I mean, before, I mean, we kind of skipped over in Jeddo when you know the planet was blown up and everything like that, and of a uh, uh, Saul Goodman was killed and everything was. <laughs> you mean Che Guerrero? Yeah, che yeah, Guevara? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, there was a transmission that uh that 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 Jane uh saw where it was her father, and he had talked about that he basically had design or he put when he when they're building the weapon in the death star was that he built a flaw into it purposely but there was also something else that he did was that even though he knew he wasn't integral to the actually building it he made um krennic actually believe that he was basically the most important man to make sure that this spaceship would be operational and continue to be operational so when we get to the scene in the rain one thing that i really liked in there was when they're trying to basically you know interrogate like who's the one giving up this information was even after Mad Mickelson's character, um, you know, admitted that it was him. He still, they still killed his engineers and let him live because he had played this long game where it was, they, they need me no matter what I do, they mm-hmm. still need me. And I thought that was a great character trait, but of course, you know, <laughs> the, the rebels come in and they bomb the thing and they ended up killing him. And it was like, man, you guys probably could have still needed him. You know what I mean? If you guys would have just <laughs> held off a little bit or whatever, you know, they could have took him back and, you know, maybe done something a little bit different or, you know, whatever. But it was just like, it, the whole thing is I liked is that it showed, like Kurt was saying, it showed the flaws in both sides and showing, you know, it's very true to life is that sometimes the good guys or what we perceive to be the good guys do bad things in the name of good. So just, I, I think it was a good scene, but I also was kind of feeling you, Jay, as far as um, I was kind of getting bored up until this was going on, and it was just kind of like, oh, we're just going to bounce from planet to planet, aren't we? It just kind of felt like uh, kind of the worst parts of the prequels, where it was just like, we're going to go here, and then we're going to go here, and then we're going to go here. But luckily, after this scene, this is where it really starts to kind of get going with um, them getting a little bit of information and then going back to the um, the, bureauc- the bureaucracy of the freaking rebels. My God, it's like the U.N., <laughs> well we got a pretty big scene uh, right before we get back to the rebels which uh is uh it's a, it's a scene i kind of wished wasn't in the trailers because i think you, you know when you say it's star wars i think everyone's seen this movie anyway but i'll tell you what scene i was looking forward to the most is when you just see a quick flash of uh darth vader in that trailer mm-hmm. and so this so the scene i was looking forward to was this and when we see that shuttle fly in on the volcanic planet instantly even though they weren't playing the empire theme it's like oh i know what this is and i saw it on a th- i saw it on the opening thursday night it was definitely all only the only people there were like were star wars fans guys above you know 25 that were hardcore star wars fans and there was an audible reaction when they saw the volcano planet because they knew immediately oh we know what this is is that and, mustafar is that mustafar yeah, see I, I i think it is i think it is yeah and i thought it was awesome but also kind of sad that that's where darth vader anakin ch- chooses to hang his cape up because it's the <laughs> technically it's a place where he was reborn whatever you want to call it but the fact that he's not on coruscant he's not in space he's he's, he's he chooses a volcanic hellhole and there's something really sad and dark about it and it's just, and what I, i'll tell you my favorite part about it is not the scene where darth vader's choking him and walking around it's a it's this quick scene where vader's guy uh lurched him that krennic's here and we see him in this in this tank, like the tank Luke was in in Empire after he gets uh, mauled by the Wampa. And we see the water level lowering down. And we get this very small but so creepy and menacing look of Vader from like the eyes up where we see like the back of his scarred head. And the, 
there's so, like in the in the burned white skin. I just thought this movie, even if that was the only scene, I thought what this movie did so well was they made Darth Vader scary again. And this scene, and of course, you know the the, the big one uh, next is for some reason this is the first time in any scene with Darth Vader. I I just picture the guy behind the helm behind the mask so much. I saw. The the burned face. I just picture this grizzled, evil bastard in his fifties. Like this is, this is the Darth Vader before he knows he has kids. This is the Darth Vader who has nothing left to live for, except mm-hmm. do what the Emperor says. He's his hound dog. He's and I think he's the scariest he's been since Empire Strikes Back. And James Earl Jones doing the voice. I, I was kind of concerned because I knew James Earl Jones was going to come back. And it's like I thought, eh, maybe you know he's kind of getting old, but. Older James Earl Jones gets the cooler his Darth Vader voice sounds, and some he just sounded more badass I, than ever. I have a feeling that somewhere in the annals of Lucasfilm, they've got like a sound bank of James Earl Jones, kind of like they have in the Stepford Wives, of like every <laughs> word in the world. So when he does go, you know that they're like, well, we yeah, no problem with that, you know, because I mean, they they pretty well got it all right there. No, it is a good performance. I want to say this though, I. It, it felt a little fan servicey to me that like, well, yeah, we're going to have to see Darth Vader burnt the you know, F up again and all that stuff. But I, I forgave it because of the, the, the Mustafar location. I said, no, I totally get why he would choose this because if you're going to be this person that we ultimately know is, is struggling with the good and the evil inside of him, even though we, we would have never known that until Luke reveals it to us in return of the Jedi, but he's, you know, he's struggling with that constantly. The only way you could remind yourself to go to the dark side, to give in to hate and fear and anger would be on a place where your best friend chopped off all your limbs and left you to burn to death on the side of a volcano. I mean, yeah, that might piss you off every day if you woke up and saw that, you know, I mean, it's, it's an awful thing, but it's also perfect for the character. And I thought, you know, that's smart. I don't, know if that's in any in any of the eu or not or whatever but that's a good choice and i, it is. I was it is. i was it is okay so i was down for that i thought that makes total sense i mean i get it and i the thing though that kills it for me though man is he comes out and he has this whole thing with krennic and i'm fine with it up until the end and he's force choking him and i'm like that's awesome yes and then just like let him go you know and he has to drop that stupid pun and i'm like what are you buffy the vampire slayer all of a sudden it's like <laughs> vader does not drop one-liners on people he doesn't scream oh, no v- to the v- heavens vader either. does do v- vader is a one-liner guy though rest he in peace what? Cap- what does he say apology accepted <laughs> captain nita he does oh, but he, he, that's he is a <laughs> that is it's, not the same as don't let your ambitions choke you. I mean, come on. Don't, 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 y'all got to admit ambitions. that's bad. Y'all got to admit that's bad. Like, that's a bad uh, line. It's not good. I'll give you that. It's. I'm not going to say it's bad. It's It's like the Tarkin effect. It's not good, but it's not bad. So, um, But the one thing I took away from this scene, and maybe this is just my cynical nature towards the prequels, was most other of the planets kind of got like a call out for what they were. You know, like right. Jetta and stuff like that. Like it got a little, like little subtitle dec- declaring what planet it is. This one did not get that. Hmm. And also, I think it's because they, we're supposed to know this is where this is. I think they did that for places. No, I, I think it's them kind of distancing themselves from the prequel, saying, "Yeah, we're we're recognizing it, but we're not going to call it out." And the same thing goes with Vader in the tank. Was they purposely do not show his face because it's like. Hayden Christensen. Uh, I was worried that we're going to do that. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to kind of, we're going to hint at it, but we're not going to completely tell you just like the planet, which again, I think is just kind of like Disney's kind of 
you know, love hate relationship with the prequel, so to speak. That's what I was kind of taken away. But one, one thing I do, I do really like about that though, was Krennic goes there and he's talking to Vader and it's not about Vader. It's about the emperor. And again, it's, this is such like freaking just political nonsense at work. Yeah. It's like, can you go talk to the emperor for me? You know, it's like, he's, 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 like I said, pathetically delicious, deliciously pathetic that he can't go talk to the emperor himself, that he's trying to get like, you know, the, the VP to go talk to the CEO. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I don't want to go do it myself because I'm not going to bug him with this. But if you could put a good word in for me, you know, that that, that would be nice. Yeah. You know See, I mean? Krennic, <laughs> yeah. I it makes Krennic, me like Krennic more. Jay, you, you you know you've done that at work before. Where it's like yeah, I've not you know, been forced may, choked may, by may, my boss, may, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> may, may, make, make sure the upper management does kind of know that I did this. You know what I mean? Oh, it's no doubt. Like, when somebody tells me, hey, thanks a lot for doing this, I'm like, can you write that to my boss in a note? Like, I have totally done that. I will admit that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's what this was, and that's why I like that. But, of course, you know, Vader kind of knows what he's doing, and he's like, you know, you know, don't bite off more than you can chew here, buddy. <laughs> It's like Krennic's trying to be Vader Jr. or something. Like, I always thought, like, the cape, Krennic definitely saw Darth Vader on a ship somewhere and said, oh, I want a cape, too. And <laughs> I, he, he tries to talk to Vader as though they, they should they should have put a line in there, like, where he says, you know, and we're, on, you know, we're on the same level here. We're, we're both middle management for the Empire here, aren't we, Vader? And, and Vader, he does. He just he just turns around and force chokes him as he walks away. And he's, he, you know, he's, he's, he's reminding him who's really in charge of this galaxy, and that's there's only two people and that's uh the emperor and and vader and and that's it's a weird thing vader's placement in this movie is like he it, it's so strange how like i was saying the movie's very not dramatic and it's a little bit low-key and yet the most dramatic he you can't get more dramatic than than darth vader we know this guy inside and out and uh i can't think of another movie that's done that where a character shows up and like you know him so much more than all these other characters like Suicide Squad did that when Batman showed up. I thought, well, I know who the best character is in this movie. He's only in it for 30 seconds. And that's how I thought of with with mm -hmm. uh, with Rogue One. It was just – I can't think of the movie that's can, done that. Where can I tell you, though, I didn't know we were going to get more Vader. I didn't know the ending was coming. I hadn't heard that well, before oh, I yeah. saw this. And so I thought, okay, wow, this is, this is really interesting. I'm – I'm curious to see, you know, is this all we're going to get of Vader? And if it had been, I'd have been fine with it, honestly. I'd have been like, Me okay, too. yeah, I'm I'm down with the fact that we, we've established this. Because, again, it made the, the Krennic character more of what I liked about him. It's like, this guy is so screwed in his job. And, you know, I just feel for the guy, you know. And and I, I get his point of view here. And it's neat to see Vader putting people in their place because if there's anything that the original trilogy was all about was letting us know that darth vader had no problem putting a bitch in its place kind of like lando in a way where it's like hey wait, i'm changing the deal here you know what i mean where it's like dude you're not as big as you think you are you know hold off what you're doing here a little bit but one thing i also do want to bring about chronic though is one thing i really like was an aesthetic choice in here was when we see vader the first time in a new hope you got this guy all in black and then you got his troops that are all in white, but Krennic is the exact opposite. He's all in white, but his troops are all in black. I thought that was kind of a cool that's little nice. reverse. Yeah. yeah. But kind, again, kind like neat. you say, they like to make an entrance. So I just think that's part of his entourage now. So yeah, you, got, you, got, that, you, got, so. you got to be contrast, you know, like if you're an Oreo cookie, you're going to be vanilla with chocolate Oreo cookie. <laughs>
I I did think that was smart though. Again, I I was down for this scene and it's good because now we do have to get back to and this is where I feel like the film really drags some more. I'm like we know these people are going to go steal the plans, okay? And the, this is the funniest thing to me. I think you've hit it out of the park, Nick. And now having you, you having said that, I appreciate the scene more. But the whole bit where Jen is trying to convince these people, one, she really like worked up a speech for this pretty fast. So I'm impressed yeah. by that. And secondly, like she's giving this impassioned like rebel speech, and I'm like, lady, you haven't been doing this for like for three days. But okay, whatever movie. And then. Like, they're all like, oh, we can't do this. Oh, we can't do this. And I'm going, have none of you, like, do y'all not have tapes of the old Senate hearings where you you overthrew Malcolm McDowell or whatever? Like, or Terrence Stamp? Can we go watch that again? Because that's what got you where you are. Like, it's like they haven't learned anything. And I, I thought... I don't know. I felt like, well, this shows us that you've got to have people willing to push buttons behind the scenes and do things to keep things moving forward. And I, I was reminded of a, of a couple of World War II stories. And uh, just to digress for a second on this, a lot of people will tell you that the war in, in Europe was really won in Africa by Patton and and um, some of his guys that were chasing uh, Rommel, another tank, uh, tank commander, in North Africa, because Patton refused orders to just, you know, follow and search and back off. He just kept going after him and going after him and going after him and engaging in battle until he finally won. And, and I'm reminded of that because in history, you've got to have people who are willing to go, well, you guys don't think this is the right thing to do, but I know it's right. So we're going to go do it anyway. And they go do it. And that's exactly what Jen and her compatriots are here. And, but I'm watching this whole thing and I'm like, can we just get to the part where she walks out of there and is like, well, that was a complete waste of time. Like, I didn't need to see her waste the time doing it. I could have just bought it if she walked out going, like, they didn't buy that at all. Because Cassian pays all that off for us. He's like, I told you they weren't going to believe you. And I'm like, well, actually, you didn't. That must be on the cutting room floor somewhere. But I'm glad that you said that because he shows up with, like, you know, a bunch of his double O's, basically, who are like, look, we've done some pretty heinous shit for this rebellion, and we're ready to see this end, so what do you need? And then they go and do the thing. Like, I, that to me felt unnecessary to have all this bickering back and forth between, oh, we should do this, no, we can't, we just can't trust it now, all that crap. Like, I didn't need that at all. Because it makes me realize that the people running the rebellion aren't, that different than the empire in a lot of ways maybe that's the point too but i i didn't dig that i i was kind of done with all that way before they did i like the message of that of that scene the delivery is a bit cheesy cheesy but i do like the whole point of like she's reminding them isn't this the whole point that we are you know one against a million that we're supposed to you know go up against the odds i like the idea that she's that they are trying to remind them of that. Like we are the resistance here where of course, of course we don't have good odds. That's the whole point of the, of a rebellion. But, uh, it, the delivery is, is a little bit, a little bit cheesy. I'm also confused as to why Admiral Akbar is not in that scene. They got a replacement for Admiral Akbar, who's another calamari guy. And I kept waiting for, of all characters that don't show up, that should have, I was really surprised Akbar didn't show up. But, yeah, why, uh, why wasn't he? Why wasn't that him? By the way, like that. I mean, if we're gonna yeah. do all this payoff anyway, all this fan service, why the yeah. hell is he not in this? Why we have this new yeah. random goo? Well, and by we, the way, we, the we CGI that looks Lu- like crap. We, we had the George Lucas version of him in there with the big <laughs> giant jaws. I mean, it's. <laughs> I mean, it, but but it's the same thing as like Red Five going down. I mean, the the, the guy that they had in there, uh, Raditz or whatever his name is. It's. 
the precursor to him. But speaking of, you know, kind of like that council meeting, I kind of liked it in a way because it just reminded me of politics, you know, the way it is today, <laughs> where it's like, even like, you know, stuff with like World War II was like, no one wanted to get involved. It's just like, no, shouldn't do this. You know what I mean? It's like, we're, let's, you know, it's kind of like, I liked how some of them were like, maybe if we go apologize, they'll forgive us yeah. and like well, kind of let us back in the fold. <laughs> yeah, but but unlike World War II, there's no, the Mon Mothma's not back there like, well, let them destroy this one base and that'll get everybody online. Like, there's not, that doesn't happen. So, I mean, it's not exactly, but, but, uh, it's, but it's more modern like the, politics, like you're saying. So it is, it is. But would you have liked, though, if she would have gave like a rousing speech and also they all would have sort of like, started clapping and then they all like no yeah, that would have been that this. would have been bad but that's what i'm saying is this is unnecessary like they should get back and go like i'm sorry your father died we're gonna have to come up with another way of doing this and she gets back in the hangar like pissed about that and cassian's like hey you know uh i got some other spy buddies here who are ready to go do some shit so you down and like they just go and do because that's what they do I mean, they, they have the, the defected Imperial. We haven't talked about that guy at all, but they have the, the pilot and they've got all the stuff they need to go pull this, this off. And I mean, she has a great line. She's like, they're never going to see us coming. There's, they don't expect us. They, we have the complete element of surprise. They have no idea that we're crazy enough to do this shit. And I like that. I, I didn't need the boring committee. A bit to let me know that the rebels weren't down for this kind of thing. They would just take it advantage of a good opportunity, and this is one of them. I I would have been better if they just gotten to the invasion. Because I'll say right now, the best part of this film is the third act when it when it goes all balls to the wall and all hell breaks loose on on uh, Scarif. That is the best part of this film because it never stops. It's it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, like the whole movie up to this point, in my opinion, was very good. And the, the action scenes we did get were good in the whole story. But, yeah, the final act I thought was shockingly thrilling. I knew it was going to be like some cool stuff, but I was not expecting it to be as heart-pounding as it was. I had no idea, and I had no idea there was going to be any kind of space battles whatsoever. That's one thing I'm glad they didn't put in any trailer I saw. I didn't know we are going to have anyone fighting in space. And, and we get one, we get the best space battle we've had since that uh, great one at the end of uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. Oh, no, absolutely. Look, the fact that those two Star Destroyers crash into each other and it crashes the planet. That's I insane. Loved, <laughs> I, I loved that. I mean, yeah, and yeah. we have the whole shield to take down again. I'm like, yeah, we got to have we got to have two things going on. We got the ground war and we got the we got what I wanted uh, Return of the Jedi to be, which was the ground war was the boring part of that to me. Yeah. I, I never liked it because I felt like they wasted a, two good characters with Leia and Han down there doing that with the space battle. And then what goes on with Luke and the Emperor and Darth Vader on the Death Star is so much more compelling. And that's what saves that film in the third act is those two parts are better than that one but in this one both parts are good you've got a great space battle going and you've got a great ground battle going and i love how they they have great tactics with this they're like look we'll make you know you do this you blow that up over here it'll make 10 seem like two and like everybody's got their little part in their little scene you know you got the pilot back there trying to get the satellite to uplink still and he radios in some bullshit to make them go to the wrong place you know and i'm like well yeah that i get it that makes total sense right and they they fall for it and the other cool thing is that you've got krennic up there who's there to inspect of course everybody's freaking out because like holy shit like start looking busy you know because he because 
he comes in because this is what middle management does is they push people around below them <laughs> sometimes. And I like the the way that he you know comes in and does that, and he starts seeing all this stuff blow up, and everybody's standing there, and he's like, "Why are you looking at me? <laughs> Why don't you go down there and handle that?" I I was down for that. I thought that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't tell me you didn't like the third act of this i did but the one thing i'm just okay new hope it's the one battle in space empire strikes back it's what's going on with vader and luke and then kind of what happens after that return of the jedi kind of changed the star wars formula it's we're gonna do multiple battles at the same time and kind of just start interject you know kind of intercutting between them the phantom menace did it uh, Attack of the Clones kind of did it, uh, was a little bit more stream, you know, kind of straightforward, linear with the thing. And then, of course, you know, Re- Revenge of the Sith did it just awful. But um, I'm just I'm not a big fan of just like cutting between it because I think it just kind of lessens a lot of the dramatic tension between what's going on. I mean, I think the ground battle was great. I, I liked it when the at ads come through. What it actually reminded me a lot of was the. Uh, basically the first climax of return of the king with lord of the rings where it was like <laughs> one thing after another and like oh f- shit here comes the elephants just like oh shit here comes the at ats i mean it was essentially that but there was some kind of stuff in there where i was just kind of like oh, all right i mean we got to give everybody something to do i mean we get the obvious you know we, we get the cameos from the you know the gold leader and red leader in there using un- unused footage from the uh the first Star Wars interject that into there. I don't think that was needed. Um, oh, you know, I we, disagree. I I don't think it was needed. I think it was just that that's kind of fan service, almost like C three PO and R two D two, which opened up a giant plot hole, which I'll get to. But um, just stuff like that, and then like Riz has got to like um go and find a basically a gigantic USB cord to be able to go plug it in. I mean, it's just kind of like uh, I don't know. It it was fine. As far as that goes, but like I, I like the at at stuff a lot. I like this that stuff was really cool. I thought I thought the stuff with uh, using like jackhammer style spaceship to push the uh, star destroyer into the other one. We kind of saw that in Empire Strikes Back, but like they did it like a lot more dramatically in this one, or you know, with a bigger effect. But I don't know. It, no, it was good. It was I, good. I, I, the the thing that makes it work to me, I'm I'm fine with the cutting back and forth again because we're we're progressing along. Like the, you've got three things going on. You've got the the ragtag group of Rogue One fighting it out with all these stormtroopers. All right, you've got the Rebel fleet taking on the Imperial fleet above that uh, area it, uh, while the Death Star is looming around them. All right, and they're all freaking out about what the hell is that. And then you've got Jen and Cassian in like the most dangerous library on earth. Like you could fall to your death to go get what you want out of it. But you know, they're, they're trying to retrieve the secret files, which are of course stored under the pet name that dad had for or whatever. But you know, that's, that's fine. But you've got that going on and Krennic shows up and starts shooting guys, including Cassian. Like I was, I didn't think he was dead. I was like, no, he's not dead yet, but he gets shot and falls. And I'm like, well, that's, you know, now it's, it, we've really upped the tension here before she goes and gets the uh, CD-ROM to uh, go and upload somewhere else. I love too, though, that by the way, they actually have something here that like you never think about in Star Wars movies or in space movies is that tech just seems to work. They actually have like upload and download times. 
like, it's like, I gotta have a better connection or this is gonna take friggin' forever to, you know, <laughs> upload. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's like, you know, I can't just instantly transfer the file. I, I thought that was kind of fun. I'm just kind of like wondering, I'm like, man, they got some kind of ancient kind of technology here. They got to go and pull the hard drive manually to be able to upload it. It's like, <laughs> hey, man, today they just throw in a flash drive and be able to download that thing in about 30 seconds. Well, that's essentially what they do at the end of it. They throw in a flash drive and copy it. I mean, by the end, I, I get that it's it's a library file. It's big. It's It's not saved properly. I don't know. I thought it was funny because... Again, with all the technology you've got going on, and it still takes 30 seconds to download you know, your thing from iTunes or whatever. I, you know, it's, I catch myself Ooh. sometimes going like, man, my internet is really slow. And I'm like, five years ago, I would have thought this was fantastic. So shut up. You know, I mean, like, that's, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, yeah, it's, they, yeah. They, they can travel at light speed, but they can't download. <laughs> but they can't download faster than LimeWire in 1998. Okay, whatever. So. I, I thought it would have been better if they would have had, like, you know, they, they had to, like, push aside a bunch of AOL uh, free-hour discs or something. <laughs> <laughs> or if they had to, like, block pop-up windows, that would have been great, right? There was okay. a browser of some kind. So. Yeah. But we get the the thing is though is the K two character who's been there pretty much for comic relief the whole time and basically just to be the smart ass robot of the film gets his best scene here because he's like shooting stormtroopers left and right as they come in the door getting shot himself and he's sitting there we've never seen a droid take up arms like this other than in the Phantom Menace and that don't count so the fact that he's like willfully doing this basically sacrificing himself for the team it's what we're going to see happen with almost everybody in this story all of our group here one way or another is going to sacrifice themselves so that something else can be accomplished right and i his was the one that really hit me though i mean i was like man i didn't want to see that guy go i liked him oh yeah we uh i got like this is like this whole part of the final the final act the action is amazing but the way the final act starts to wrap up is where this became one of my favorite movies of the year because what, what I mean, like unlike your average star Wars movie characters start dying and it was a gradual feeling, uh, the way the third act was going. Cause when K2, K2, uh, SO got shut up, you know, it looked like he was this invincible terminator. So he's not going down, but eventually he just, he, he goes down and there was an audible reaction in the audience where, cause like, I did not see, I saw Galen dying I didn't really see him dying because, again, he was the comic relief. It would be like uh, killing Rocket Raccoon in Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like, wow, they, they really seriously? They killed him off? Because at this point, I'm, I think when I'm watching the movie, I'm immediately assuming, oh, Disney's going to wring as much as they can out of this. There's going to be a, a whole series of movies about the rebel soldiers. But when they killed him off, that's when that started to fade away in my head. It's like, I think they got something else in mind uh, in here. And we, we, you know, we, and we move into, I can't remember what the order is, whether it's Bodhi or Chirut who bites it first, but what, like Bodhi is like, he's trying to work on his, uh, his, you know, his, his mission, trying to transfer the files. And then very randomly, a grenade just gets flown in, flung into the ship and blows up and he's dead. And then, you know what, the way these guys, the way these guys start getting picked off, I felt like I was in the climax of saving private Ryan to go back to that earlier in the discussion is that I felt like with him, it was when Jackson got shot in the tower by the tank, not that guy. Like, like seriously, it got into game of Thrones territory where 
I started to panic almost a little bit because I'm not sure who's going to make it out I, of this. I just want to say this, though. You guys keep bringing up Game of Thrones. There were not nearly enough topless women and blood <laughs> well, yeah. in this film to be Game of Thrones. Okay? Yeah, so but, if but, those but, guys had made this movie, you wouldn't be watching it with kids. I promise yeah. you that. So. Yeah, but we got we got a vagina tentacle monster, though, earlier in the movie. Oh, right. <laughs> that was Prometheus. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. But, but, but the thing, though, with... Um, I guess the one I would equate like K2SO would be would be like Groot in the, like Guardians of the Galaxy. You kind of yeah. got like the the big lovable, you know, badass kind of guy there that kind of goes down for him. And what one thing, you know, I noticed too was, you know, like I'm sitting next to my son at this and, you know, we're sitting at like this bistro style, you know, theater where we got a table in front of us. And like this whole third act, like he's like kind of like leaning on the table, kind of like taking it all in. And then when K2SO died, I just watched him and like he just sunk back in his seat. Oh, and wow. it was like he was, I could see in like his eyes, you know, like you can kind of see like the welling up that he was kind of destroyed when K2S went down. And I, I warned him before going into the movie. I was like, you know, but I'm like, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm like, you got to be prepared that this is <laughs> not going to have a happy ending. And so, uh, I think he obviously forgot that as we were watching it. And I, there was, there was a kind of like, you know, an audible, kind of like a feeling in the theater when he died that everybody was like, oh shit, this isn't going to end well. And then when you saw like everybody else die and what I thought was probably the coolest scene of the movie, I know Jay was kind of making fun of it earlier, but the one that I liked was when the blind mercenary guy yeah. was going to the switch and he just, he's chanting that, you know, the, I'm one with the force, the force is with me, I'm the one with the force, the force is with me. And I don't know if it's just a combination of the force and the stormtroopers not being able to shoot straight, but he's able to walk <laughs> through all the firing. And I think that was kind of a kind of a rip at the other ones where it's like they can't hit any, they can't hit the broad side of a barn, you know. And uh, I, I love that scene. And then when he goes down and his, you know, his companion goes over there and you know screaming that he's down, and then he just goes, you know, completely just like. I don't know if you guys ever played the game like Halo Reach where it's just like at the end where it's just like it's done. I'm just going to take out as many as I can before I get killed. And I thought like that and that were like the most badass scene in the movie was that. Oh, was, Baze gets, I thought that gets was incredible. the best go out. Yeah, Baze goes out like a total champ. I, I liked that. Yeah, that that scene, that that section like from Chirut getting shot and the end of Baze, that to me is the best scene of this movie and just about one of the best scenes uh, I've seen in a movie this year. It is because it was so mo moving to me. Uh, way, like uh, I, I like Force Awakens and, and Han Solo's death was moving, but I just, I didn't really react uh, audibly. I, I, I didn't react much when Han Solo died. Maybe it's because I saw it coming, but for some reason when, when Trude's dying in, in Bay's arms and he says, believe in the Force and I'll be there. And as he starts to fade, Bay starts repeating Trude's chant saying, the force is with me and I'm one with the force. And they hold on to him for a long time, saying it like three times. And that scene, it just got to me so much. It was the most moving thing I've seen since when like Darth Vader died in, in, uh, in return of the Jedi. I didn't tear up, but man, I got, I got close and I tear up thinking about it whenever I, when I was writing up, you know, a review of this movie, I was thinking about that. It seems like, man, that was so, so emotional. And I got, I found, and, uh, they just, they hit the, uh, the the war movie uh, side of that more and, and definitely Saving Private Ryan comes up. It's definitely like um, whatever his name is in Tom Hanks when he dies in Saving Private Ryan. Well, it's just like that, but it's and it's but it is so 
badass when uh, Baze loads his gun and starts chanting it again. I'm, I'm one with the force and the force with me and starts to shoot his way past the stormtroopers. It is exactly like Barry Pepper in Saving Private Ryan, who says a prayer every time he shoots somebody. It's very, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's played so real and like a war movie. And uh, it was so cool. But again, the movie just hits you so hard because it's ended very quickly because he gets shot right away. And and then a grenade goes off next to him and it's over. And it's like that, that was like my heart was really pounding in that scene. And like I I, I was so I, I couldn't move. I could bear like you could hear a pin drop in theater for stuff like this it was like it was almost too good for a Star Wars movie, really. But that, that's kind <laughs> of a vibe I get with a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, 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 it was. But, 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 but I think that's kind of the problem, though, with the third actor. You know, I do really like this third act, but I think that's kind of the problem is you got these, like I said, K2SO and the, you know these two guys who are such the likable characters in here. And after they died, I think just the the wind was taken out of the audience. That when we get up to, you know, the the climax between you know, the climax between the you know the two main characters and Krennic and everything like that, that it's almost like an afterthought at this point, at least to me it was where it was like, I, I the, the, the good characters already died and okay, I know what's going to happen now because they're setting it up that no one's going to live. I, I'm right there with you, Nick. I was just going to say that I think this is when the audience, if you hadn't figured it out already and hadn't guessed it, you realize nobody's getting out of this alive. And you know what, you know how I felt about, about the, the way a lot of this goes down and really the way, particularly the way Jen and Cassian kind of are, are together at the end there. I felt like I did about Vasquez and Gorman a little bit in Aliens. You know, maybe if it had been Vasquez and like Hicks, it might have, it might have been a little more poignant and maybe closer avatar to it. But I felt the same way about it. These two people have just gone through hell and back together and they're like, well, you know what? We're going to get one final swing in on this and, and we know we're going to win. And that's how they go out together. But you realize the inevitability is there now that none of these people are going to survive this because the Death Star, by the way, we haven't talked about this enough. They're lining up a shot because uh, Tarkin's like, you know what? Just nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. <laughs> and, and he's like, I don't care who's down there. <laughs> you know? I don't care if my mother's down there. I'm blowing this thing the F up. And that's exactly what they line up to do. And they're just waiting for it. And, I don't know. I, I liked it. I mean, I had no doubt that when Krennic showed up to try to, you know, stop her from uploading the file or whatever, that I'm like, well, this is where Cassian's going to come back. And sure enough, he comes back and shoots him. I didn't know he didn't kill him, though. I thought he killed him. The fact that Krennic has to watch his, you know, the Death Star's uh, nuclear wave come and wipe him yeah. out, I was like, that's the final no, no, F he, you they, to no, that he guy. didn't see it. He didn't see it coming. <laughs> they aimed the Death Star at that tower he <laughs> yeah. was in, and they took yeah. He took him out with that. I think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, like, it is. It's it like was, you it were just... killed by the thing that you worked so hard for, and now somebody's taking it from you. They just destroyed you with it. I mean, that's yeah, amazing. It's, it's it is. I mean, it's like the ultimate like f you to the guy where it's like he's up there wounded in the tower, and they just like nope, you're done, and they just like they just blow up the tower. Then of course, I mean, the, the ending is very deep impact. I mean, as far as them on the beach and then watching that wave come in and then take them out and everything, and even like you bring up aliens. You know, like when the one guy's going down after the blind guy died, that kind of reminded me of Hudson in a way where it was just like he's just going crazy and it's just like yeah, he ends up going down like that. I mean, there, there's we'll get to another big aliens nod that I think this movie does in a few moments. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, chronic going down like that was uh, it's just showed just how, like I said, deliciously pathetic he is. 
I want to say though, the ending on the beach with Jen and Cassian, I, I asked myself, is this cheesy? Is this too much for this kind of movie? And I think I've come down on the side that no, it's fine because I feel like it's earned. I, I mean, it's again, these characters aren't really deep, but they've, they've gone through an arc where like they meet each other and they don't really like each other. They don't necessarily trust each other and they learn to trust each other by the end of it. They've done a little bit of the, the Han and Luke thing and, uh, a new hope. You know, they've learned how to trust each other you know, as they've saved each other's butt a few times. And I, I wondered at first, I was like, did I really need them to like do this, you know, or did I want them together arm in arm? And I, I've decided, yeah, I kind of liked it, but I wanted to get you guys thoughts on that. I mean, was what? the way they went down, was that cheesy or was that earned? I thought it was, uh, totally earned. Uh, even if, uh, I thought it was, my jaw kind of dropped during that scene because at this point in the movie, like you're saying, you, you thought it was like a foregone conclusion. Well, I guess everyone's dying. To me, I'm still the guy who's thinking. No, I'm thinking, uh, you know, no matter what the audience is thinking, it's like, guys, this is, remember, this is a Disney PG Star Wars movie. Come on, you know, everyone's not going to die. And when they're embracing in looking at this, uh, you know, basically staring in the eye of this nuclear inferno they're about to be engulfed in, it's the ending of Toy Story three. But if they did get sucked into the incinerator and burned up, and it's like my jaw drops. Like even Sicario and Seven didn't kill the heroes before the end of the movie. I still can't believe Disney okayed that. Apparently, Gareth Edwards, from what I understand, he wanted to do that in the in the beginning. He was like, "Oh yeah, well, realistically, we're going to kill the characters," but he assumed Disney wouldn't go for it, so he bailed and created another ending where Jin lives. And I guess the reshoots, uh, they went for that darker ending. Again, I, I just, I can't believe Disney allowed a movie where everybody died. I mean, cause I can't think of another movie where everybody died. All the heroes died. And again, it, it's like, it's even more worse than saving private Ryan. Cause a couple guys lived like private Ryan lived and a couple guys. I just, well, yeah, was, there's always somebody that makes it out, right? The dirty dozen, like they don't all make it, but some of them make yeah. it right. Yeah. You know, you're magnificent seven, same bit, bit, right? Like somebody's got to go down, but somebody's making it out. I'll say this though, I did read uh, one thing about this that Edward sure enough didn't think they would ever, you know, they would ever let him do this or whatever. And then, it, you know, he showed, he had the ending for him and they're like, yeah, we're not really crazy with an ending. And he said, well, I wanted to kill them all. And they're like, yeah, kind of go with that. And they were actually for that, oddly enough. Like they thought that was a good, bold move. It's, that's, you know, the thing about this movie is that it, it doesn't want to take risks sometimes, but then sometimes it does. And, that's kind of the balance that I think it, it's trying to have with itself. You know, I'm not trying I, to I sum just, it up, but that that's how I felt about it. I just can't get over you guys with like Disney. Do you guys ever watch Disney movies before? Disney is not. Everybody seems like, like oh, Disney five. Disney's fucking cruel. <laughs> they are. Well, yeah, but- I mean, they're, have you guys seen Alice in Wonderland? They ate the baby clams. Okay. They, 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 Disney <laughs> will pull strings. I mean, it's. Oh, well, yeah, but I'm thinking more. I was thinking kill- more like, you know, this is this is the Disney that makes Marvel movies. So, like, you know, like Disney's. This is like the Marvel division of, of, of Disney making this movie. And in Marvel movies, everybody <laughs> makes it out. Even if Groot dies, he comes back at the end of well, the movie. And you know, well, he's be moreover, fine. like Iron Patriot should be dead at the end of uh, Civil War, but he's not. He's walking around in a biomech suit because Tony Stark can't let his friend die, right? Like, And he, see, I was yeah. – I was expecting that. I was expecting a Marvel ending, like because because I just assumed it is a studio PG thirteen movie. It has to have a happy ending, and like it, when I when I when I heard of this movie, it's like, well, you know, it'd be awesome if 
if they really went gritty in real war movie and they, and everyone did die. Cause realistically they're going up against the empire. Of course they're going to die, but they're never going to do that. So I, again, I was just so surprised in a way, pleasantly surprised, but at the same time, so depressed. Uh, and like when you come out of like star Wars fans coming out of this movie are, are always like, like that Thursday night when it was all star Wars fans, they were all, everyone was blown away. Like, you know, like I said in my review, people applauded at the end of the movie. And uh, that's, I've never seen that before ever. Literally. I've never seen that before. But when I saw this with a group of, uh, people who aren't Star Wars fans who are just casually like, you know, they've only seen force awakens and so forth. They were depressed and they were bummed out. And they said, I did not like that. I was so like for, they said force awakens is way better because they were, that's instantly them going for the, the ending. They like more being happy. But again, I'm just, I am, I, I don't know who to, I don't know who to applaud there, but I applaud somebody for uh, going real and dark with that ending. Well, going back to Jay's initial question was was this ending deserved? And I, I kind of I guess I mean they had to go out. I think they went out in kind of a nice poetic way. The thing that I liked actually that you guys haven't brought up was when that thing's coming. There's only one person looking at the demise, and that's Jen. She's looking at that wave coming, where he's actually looking away. And yeah. I thought that was actually kind of a smart choice for them to do was instead of them kind of like both gazing into the abyss as it comes towards them where she's actually looking for, you know, looking at it, looking at it come where he's kind of the weaker character where he's closing his eyes, looking away and just waiting for it. So I, I don't know. I mean, it was fine. I mean, it was what I expected. I, I when I heard about this movie, I mean, that was always kind of my you know, assumption that no one was going to live throughout this movie. I mean, I said it, I said it to my son. So I, I was kind of happy that they did that. Cause I tell you the truth. I didn't want any more gin movies. I mean, she, she served her purpose. One of the big rumors that one of this movie was that she was going to end up being like Ray's mom or something like that. And huh. like force awakens. And it's like, Oh, I think, you know, people want to complain about Disney and they, they got the, they got the foresight to really kind of do what's going to be working with these movies as opposed to, you know, George Lucas did with those prequels. Well, we're not at the very end though, because we're at the end of our, mm-hmm. our rebellion here, because we do get this, this scene where we have to see how the plans get into Leia's hands, right? Like they're going to lead us right up to that moment. And I'm expecting that at this point, uh, because we, you know, her father's been there and we've had, you know, the Jimmy Smith's cameo and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm waiting for it. Right. Cause there's all this destruction going on. Mm. And, we see these guys run onto a ship and turn around and I'm like, Oh, are we at the beginning? Are they going to like do the beginning of a new hope for a second here? They're going to kind of, you know, give us that. And they're giving us the, what would I have? What happened right before that? When he comes through that door and of course they start lighting him up. I saw him coming through that door and and my first reaction was like, Holy cow. And you know, I'm just watching him force block all that stuff and throw these guys around and choke that dude and, you know, and just, just lay these people out, you know, and I'm going, Holy crap. I've never seen Vader do all this shit. We've heard him talk about him doing it for movies. We've never seen it actually happen. Now we're seeing it and it gets right up to the point where he's like looking out over the Gulf and there's that ship going away. He was like, Oh, hold on a minute. I'm going to go get my other ship and I'll be right back. You know, and, yeah, and you see that happening. The second time I watched it, I, I know it's coming. So I, I'm watching it and I'm sitting there going, you know, as cool as this is and it's cool. 
I'm beginning to go, what the hell happened to you a week later when you faced Obi-Wan? Where was all this anger and force shit then? <laughs> I know it. I know well, it's not there, but I'm like, well, what, did, it's did because you just not... that was fil- that was filmed in the 70s. And no, I know that. I know the why, but I'm going from a, and that's why I'm backing up going. Maybe we should have pulled back on that a little bit with him because now that makes me watch a new hope and go like, what did you not take your arthritis medicine that day? Did you not oil the gears? I mean, are you the Let's, tin no, man? No, no, no. <laughs> you you got you got to think of it like this, Jay. It's it's always going to go back to work with this movie. But if you ever get that day where it's like the boss is on you about something, or it's just like go 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 get it done, dude. You know, enough mm-hmm. of the excuses. Go get that shit done. And I think that was kind of like Vader's motivation. There was he was probably talking to the Emperor. The Emperor saw this stuff coming down, and he was just like handle this shit now and so what does he do he flies in with his uh, star destroyer just crashes into ships and he's just like i'm doing this on my own and he goes in there and that's when he starts like kicking ass with these guys i think with obi-wan it was a little bit more of an intimate fight between them or i think he was kind of toying with them a little bit but this it was like you know he's got to get that sale and he's going to go there and he's going to be hounding okay. all the people in there to go buy that used car. <laughs> he, he, he needs that sale because the manager that, that general manager is on him. You got to get rid of, you got to get rid of that 2011 Ford F-150. <laughs> well, this, well, yeah, this, uh, th- this scene, I got a, I'm sorry. I'm just laughing here because I'm thinking of the Emperor giving the Glengarry Glenn Ross speech oh, yeah. to Vader before he goes and does this. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm thinking of like, you know, he's just like, closers, you know, only closers drink coffee, Vader, you know. Hmm. But uh, I, I gotta, I gotta just talk about this scene because like this scene uh, is, this scene was a true mind blower. Like just everything about, like, like, I, like as much as I think, like, uh, Gareth Edwards with Godzilla maybe showed he's not really he doesn't really care about Godzilla. This scene tells me that Gareth Edwards is the biggest Empire Strikes Back Darth Vader fan in the world. <laughs> Everything about that scene, it's when yeah, they're in the airlock, the door starts to open and it's and it's stopped and the lights go out, we hear the breath, and he turns that saber on. I kept thinking, movie, like, cause I'm just so used to movies not doing what I want. I think, oh, they're gonna cut away, we can fill in the blanks. But they don't cut away. And I had a heart attack. The music Michael Giacchino plays is this mix of like this operatic gothic horror music and the Empire theme. And the the, the way they, they scream open fire and just seeing Vader using everything in his bag of tricks. Like he literally stops a laser bolt in the midair and sends it back at a guy. Takes the guns out of her hand. My favorite bit is him pinning a guy to the ceiling and just like not even looking, just like moving his lightsaber up as he's passing him. And one guy's banging on the window, screaming, help us. It is totally played. The rest of the movie is a war movie. This it suddenly turns into a horror movie. It's cabin, it's cabin in the woods. Oh no. It's alien. No, he's Jason Voorhees at this point, dude. It's he total is, slasher. He it's, is it's, wading it's through so, people. Yeah. It is. And I, I just no, I, is, I couldn't it, believe it. It's Alien 3 in the corridors. I mean, it's just like the door shut, guy screaming, help me, help me, help me. And also, like, whoosh, you know, he gets killed. I mean, it, 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 you're right. It, it, it is a horror movie. And are, are we sure Gareth Edwards even directed this one? <laughs> I mean, it's there's, like, there's, there is contention there that maybe Mike, Tony Gilroy, who is a fantastic director in his own right, there is contention that maybe he did that. And if he did, I want him making every, every Star Wars. But, but movie. here's, here's my question, though, to you guys. 
is this like just a sort of missed opportunity from George Lucas's standpoint? Isn't this what we wanted with the prequels was to see Vader just being bad ass for a whole movie? And, and I mean, it's just like we never got that. Can and I, I tell you this? I think though, that's I, I'm with I'm with you. Yeah, yes, I wanted that from the prequels, but I'm never going to get that. And I'm actually okay with the fact that we've we've put Mystique back in Darth Vader again for me with this, and put a little fear Big back time. in into that character. And I'm okay with the fact that you know what, we're never going to get the full on version of that or we may who knows they're going to make these forever well, you kind of you kind of get it with star wars rebels a cartoon show okay but i'm talking about live action film here we may never get that but i'm okay with it because i think what they've peppered in enough with the the good morsels i can chew out of the the prequels with what was in the original trilogy I'm fine with where Darth Vader is. And and if this is the only time I see him go berserker on somebody, yeah, I, next time I watch A New Hope, I'm going to go, eh, where was that useful you know, power you had last week? But, you know, whatever. Maybe it's more intimate, you know, whatever. But I, I'm not going to lie. It was a badass scene. And, and the first time I saw it, I, like, literally sat there with, like, popcorn in my hands waiting to go in my mouth, and it just sat there in front of me. Because I was yeah. like, holy shit i mean did that just happen because that is that is the most violent stuff i've ever seen one character due to a bunch of others in a star wars movie we've never seen you know for all how cool darth maul looked he didn't do jack you know compared to what vader just did in two minutes to a bunch of rebel scum basically yeah it's seeing darth vader in combat specifically it's not him fighting against luke half letting him win because he knows he wants to capture him live like this is it's so dark. Like this is this is how Darth Vader kills people, and we've never seen that. This is how he goes about in a war situation, and it's just like I never knew I wanted that until I saw that scene. It's like instantly, I'm like, I thought, oh, I want the Boba Fett movie. It's like, no, screw that. I want a whole movie about Darth Vader from his POV, even if it's even if it like it, it shouldn't work. It's like I just I I want that so much because I watched the movie a second time really just to get to that scene again, and I had a heart attack. Both times. And no doubt that scene is what spurred on the applause in that room. Because like I said, like I was not expecting this movie to have any fan service at all. And that's the biggest amount of fan service I've ever seen in a in a Star Wars movie. Like Force Awakens wishes it had a moment that badass. You know J.J. Abrams was like, damn, I, sh- I didn't do anything as cool as that. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those it, – it's, it's one of those – tricky situations because it's like you know if they ever came back and like hey we're gonna do another uh spin-off uh, prequel called vader and showing him hunting down the remnants of the uh, jedi order you know you get the cynical people that go ah see it's better when it's just trickled in we didn't need a whole movie of that it's just a whole pandering movie <laughs> yeah i mean you, you get that right now where you get you know the hatred i think now it's coming like three hours after the movie comes out even if it's good but uh yeah, yeah it's 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 an awesome scene it it really is and i i of course, then, you know, we, we fast, you know, we go up ahead and they're handing off the plans. They get into the Tantum Four, you know, Tantum Four, and they hand it off to Princess Leia, who I don't know what you guys thought of that scene. I think they, they, again, they didn't need to do it. I think it would have just worked better if they would have handed it to someone and like handed it, and then you only see the back of it in a white robe, pulls down the, the hood, and you can just see the earmuffs, and you know that that's Princess Leia. I don't think they had to do the face. I just, I don't. Well, I just, we'll I, 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 I'm of the opinion that less is more. Well, again, like unlike Tarkin, this is literally just 
I think it is just uh, one word she says. And I, I, I think it was out of place if, again, I didn't think the CGI was so good. Because I, I, I defy, that is 1976 Carrie Fisher in that scene. I mean, that is, that is, again, some of the best CGI I've ever seen. I mean, it wouldn't take too much convincing for me to just say that is the best CGI. Because it's just like, that's like, I'm looking at Carrie Fisher in that movie. And uh, I, think it, I think it was a great note to send that on, especially her saying Hope. And that's the, you know, the title of, uh, of the next movie. Yeah, it actually gave a little bit of meaning to what I consider to be the worst title of all the Star Wars movies. Yeah. You'll notice that when I talk about A New Hope, I just call it Star Wars. So. Right, yeah. right. So, no, good point. I, You know, I'll be honest with you. I don't know that it was necessary, but I was happy with it when I saw it. Like, I was like, you know what? That's that's a good way to end this because otherwise this is a dire movie. You know, it's, it kind of ended in real dark, and I didn't think they wanted to do that. So, um I could. I was fine with it because, again, what happens three minutes later is the movie I really love. You know, is is the the first Star Wars movie. So I'm I'm fine with it going. You know that that's fine. Guys, we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, popcorn ratings. I'm pretty sure we're all gonna like this one, but I'm real curious to hear what popcorn ratings you give this one. So, what are yours for Rogue One, a Star Wars story? Nick, you go first. Well, I don't know. I mean. When I first saw this, I walked away liking the movie. Um, if you would have asked me five minutes after, I would have said probably a medium popcorn. I thought it was really, I thought it was good, and not great, but just kind of revisiting some of these scenes that I really did enjoy and some of these characters that I really did enjoy. And while I didn't like the first, you know, the main two characters, everybody else in the movie I really did enjoy. So I can't hold it too much against the movie. And that action scenes in the end, minus a couple things I didn't really care for, I didn't think it had to be included. I thought that third act was probably the best action scene, probably since the Battle of Hoth in Empire Strikes Back. So to me, it's 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 a large popcorn. It's 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 a really good movie, and I know you guys probably did the rankings in the previous podcast. But for me, since we always got to rank movies nowadays, uh, thank you, <laughs> Letterbox. Um, mine's got to go, of course. Empire Strikes Back is the best one, followed by Star Wars, followed by gonna have to go Return of the Jedi just because of that Vader and Luke duel at the end, and the emotion and the music and all that's you know the swelling that comes on with that. And then it's it's really a toss-up. I got to give it to The Force Awakens before Rogue One, just because I do like the two main characters of Rey and Finn a lot better than the two main characters we got here. And then after that, of course, it's going to go probably pff, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith being the worst. Mm. So that that's my <laughs> rankings. <laughs> All right, Kurt, what about you? Well... Like I said earlier, I actually had rather low expectations uh, for Rogue One. I had a movie in my head I was hoping for, but I figured it wouldn't be this movie. And that it would be that it would be a very humorless, dead serious, not fun, no popcorn factor whatsoever. And just a movie trying as hard as possible not to be Star Wars. That tried to be, abo- that tried to be above the material. Like a lot of people who wanted this movie to be not Star Wars. They clearly are not Star Wars fans. And... uh I was quite frankly surprised how this movie turned out to be the exact opposite of that. While being a very gritty sci-fi war movie, it absolutely was made by people who are diehard Star Wars fans. When it's funny, it's organically funny. The characters were great. The action and the effects overall 
never mind the characters like that space battle that those effects are just outstanding and there was there's no end of the fan moments putting Tarkin in the movie being the most expensive Easter egg in cinema history I love that making Va- Darth Vader scary like Mads Mikkelsen was talking about it he summed it up great this is Mads Mikkelsen the guy you know who has been a Bond villain and Hannibal Lecter he knows what it means to be a villain and he said you know maybe before Rogue One you might think you know what I could probably take Vader and then this movie made him scare so much scarier than he's ever been. Cause now when you see Vader, I went back and what look, just like look at some scenes of the original trilogy. And now when I see Vader, I think of a guy, it's like, Oh my God, if he got my hands on me, he's going to kill me. And I never thought of Vader that way before. And it just made him so much lethal and scary. And, uh, that Vader scene alone, even if I hated the movie up to that point, I'd say you got to see the movie just for that scene, sneak in for the last two minutes, whatever. And as far as rankings, uh, I can quickly go through that. I think, yeah, Empire number one, episode four is number two. And uh, I don't care. I'm a huge fan of Revenge of the Sith. That's number three. Then I go Rogue One, uh, which I think is uh, is phenomenal. Like, you know, uh, then Return of the Jedi, then, then Force Awakens. Because, again, I want to stress, I absolutely think this is so much better than force awakens and i like force awakens i don't want to make it sound like i hate that movie i really enjoy it i had a blast but not like this movie because i loved it i think 2016 has been the worst year for movies that i can recall uh, there's just maybe there's some good stuff on the way but it's been such a boring year for movies and i kind of like almost lost a zest for movies a little bit then i saw rogue one it's like that's what i was that's what i was looking for for this for for that kind of fantasy and, and adventure and action and tension and it delivered everything i wanted and more and it is one of the best movies of 2016 one of my favorites and i give it an ex- extra large popcorn for sure I, you know i'm gonna revisit my star wars rankings here having not listened to our last episode of where i put them because those things kind of things evolve but always for me episode four is is my favorite one, then followed by episode five, obviously Empire Strikes Back. And then I would put Revenge of the Sith in there, at, but I would probably replace it with Force Awakens. I really liked that film. <laughs> and then I would put Revenge of the Sith, and then probably this one, uh, before I started getting into any of the other ones. Uh, Phantom Menace is the bottom for me, always will be. But I would put yeah. Rogue One below Force Awakens. I enjoyed Force Awakens a lot. Yeah, it's a rehash a little bit, and it's a lot of service, but... It's for the reason that Nick mentioned. Ray and Finn are such good characters. I can't wait to see what they do with them. I, I'm really excited about it. Jen and uh, Cassian here—they served a purpose, a- and they had a—they had a mission. You know, they're the, the parts of war we don't want to talk about, but the people that do the things that make the rest of it work. You know, for us, the people that sacrifice like that, they're the forgotten parts of those stories often. But, but, and I think that's why their story is so good. And, and I think that's why ultimately this movie works is even though I guessed the two big things in it, um, I didn't see the Darth Vader part coming, but I knew the two other parts. And honestly, haven't seen it now twice. I don't care. I, I was fine with it because even where it drags a little bit, there's enough fun in that third act, in particular the way that it pays off and, Ultimately, because Krennic is such a good character, and uh, Nick, you've nailed it. He's so deliciously pathetic, you know, <laughs> to, to watch. And I, I think that performance is fantastic. This film 
pays off exactly what it needs to, and it leads me right to where I want to go back to my favorite movie in the series. And so for that reason, I, yeah, I had a great time with it. I can't give it an extra large popcorn. I don't think it's the best thing I've seen all year. But is it a, a really good way to end what has, and I'll agree with Kurt, has been kind of a meh year in theaters? Heck yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. And I definitely think it's it's worth seeing again. I can't wait for it to come out. I'll definitely add it to the collection to watch again. Probably will catch it in theaters again before it's all said and done because I had fun with this. I mean, ultimately, I can go in for two hours and just have a good time. And that's what this movie does. So I'm going to give it a large popcorn. It's a strong large and a good entry in the series. And I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. I don't know that this was the story I would have started with if I was going to do spinoffs, because to me, it's the simplest one. They go, they know the plans are here. They go steal them. They deliver them. Boom. You know, that's, I mean, that's kind of it. It's not, it's about as simple as, as Mad Max Fury Road. They go one hour that way, and then they turn around and go an hour <laughs> back this way. You know, I mean, that's really what that movie is. And some people spray paint their teeth along the way. You know, I mean, and, and, and woman power and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's the ride of getting there that makes Fury Road so great and, and so much worth it. And that's the same with this. Even though I know how this is going to end. And I know where it all leads to. The ride to get there, while it has a few bumps, is still worth it. And I, I, I don't know that I would have chosen this as the first Star Wars spinoff movie, but I'm kind of glad they did now because it's the perfect balance of doing something familiar enough and reminding people of something that they really liked, which is what Force Awakens was really good at doing. And then also taking some chances and risks with characters we hadn't seen. We hadn't had a smart-ass robot that really was one. I mean, R2 was one, but nobody knows what he's saying. You know, so yeah. we, we have to react to it, you know, and maybe Chewie is, but we still don't know what he's saying. K2's <laughs> great. You got these, you got this super force worshiper. We've never seen anybody like that except in the prequels. And those guys were so out of touch with reality that they lost control, you know, of, of things. So to see something like that and then to see the camaraderie of a ragtag group like this that really throws themselves together because they're like, we know we can do this and they go get it done makes it worth it. And so, yeah, good entry, a lot of fun with it and a good way to end 2016. We've had a busy year, guys, on Filmstrip, reviewed a lot of stuff and 2017 is looking fun too we've already teased it a little bit kurt you and i are going to be doing 10 stanley kubrick films throughout the year 2017 going from 1955's the killing all the way up through eyes wide shut so uh we'll that'll be, be interesting that will be yeah they talk about a change <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll be talking about some of that but there'll be some other ones along the way there'll be some along the way i haven't seen actually so i'm i'm curious to to visit those nick you and i have got a lot of good stuff coming man we are going to be doing some big horror franchises in in the coming year we're doing well you've already mentioned it and i did too we're doing jaws that's that we're all four of those are coming up um we're going to do the saw franchise and we're going to do texas chainsaw massacre both of which have entries coming out in the next year and we're going to pick up some stuff that uh has got new entries coming in too there's supposed to be a new hellraiser direct uh, video which you know i know i i can't wait to get to i don't know about you nick uh but uh, we we need to pick up and and do some of the other stuff that's happened too there's been a new blair witch movie we need to go back and revisit and some other things along the way and and we've talked enough about disney here who knows we might do one of those uh somewhere so um uh here but lots of cool stuff coming in 2017 
for you folks. And of course, you can keep up with all of it by subscribing to us on iTunes, Continuous Play Podcast dash filmstrip. You can find our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Hook up with us on social media. Let us know what you think of the show. We appreciate your support and thank you for another great year of podcasting. Guys, we've been doing this podcast now almost 10 years. Or not almost 10 years. We've been doing this podcast, guys, for seven years now. That's a nice. long time, and and I would have never thought that we'd be doing this seven years later when we started it <laughs> way back when. But Yalo, we still well, there's just still stuff to see, and as we know on Facebook and on the Fabish Factor uh, the page, we can always argue about something. So, uh, oh yes, whether, we can. Yes, whether it's what Christmas tree this movie was in, or uh, how big of a douche Quentin Tarantino really is, or I still <laughs> I still think we need to the three of us need to review the lobster. <laughs> really don't i haven't seen that i don't know who to believe you two are <laughs> have been messing with me about this for so much i don't know what to think but uh my instinct is to say no but i do know this <laughs> there is a clamoring on the internet for us to come back and do that second anaconda movie so that's probably going to happen at some point we will twist kurt's arm into that in 2017 because how can you turn that down <laughs> i mean it's it's the first one was gold, so we'll, we'll I'll be, be on board. Yeah, but large, hey, large popcorn gold. <laughs> you know, we're getting a new Alien movie though too, so I I'm curious to see what Alien Covenant has to offer us. So we'll True. we'll get into that one. I've seen the trailer at this point, and I got to tell you, Kurt, you talk about trailers make you want to go see movies. That one made me go like, if I wasn't doing a podcast on it, I'd just wait till it came on HBO because I don't know that I want to see it. But oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was not. I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. I I had this strange familiar feeling come over me, like I was watching Aliens vs Predator again for some reason. So. Um, but anyway, we'll we'll maybe get to that. But there's lots of stuff we want to review, folks, and uh, we will get to that later on uh, down the line. So again, for Kurt and Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.